welcome to the 103rd episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on October 28th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway, and I'm the editor of GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this here show with me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? Hello, Brad. I like how you say, now that we're in the 100s of our show, you say this is 103rd episode. It sounds very Midwestern to me. 103rd, not episode 103, not episode 103, but 103rd episode. <laughs> well, shit, maybe I should switch it up then. I don't know. I don't want to give people the wrong impression because I'm definitely a West Coast guy, so maybe I'm saying it wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Nice. It sounds like like in the like sub like where where I grew up because I was in Northwest Missouri, but it sounds like a Southern Missouri thing or like a even like a just a Southern thing in general. Just hundred like H U N D E R D hundred. <laughs> oh dear, maybe we need to like re-record that opening. I don't want to give anybody that impression. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just teasing you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We'll switch it up. I'll come up with something new next time. We'll see what happens. We'll keep we'll keep the listeners guessing. Where is Brad actually from? He's from the South. He's from the Midwest. He's from Pacific Northwest. Is he from Russia? Who knows? We'll figure <laughs> it out. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, it's all shits and giggles. But before we jump into games chat there, just a quick reminder that our usual banter section will come after the show. I'm sure longtime listeners know that. But if you're new to the show, welcome. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to be talking just about video games right now, but if you want some non-video game stuff uh, and you don't mind a little rambling, ranting, and raving, stay tuned after the closing music for extra content. But now, enough of that stuff. Let's get to what you came for, I guess. The Games Chat. Corey, Corey Motley, sir, you are starting big this week. Big, big, big start this week with a double play. <laughs> uh, first up, Secret of Harrow Manor, coming from Only Human Studios, followed up quickly by I Can Gun, which makes me think of <laughs> I Can Has Cheeseburger, coming from Patrick Koenig. Uh, so, two games, big start. Where, what do you want to begin with, Corey? Well, I will. Uh, let's start. Okay, so let's start with the secret of Harrow Manor, because I was going to talk about this game last week, but then I pulled a quick like switcheroo at the end of the show and decided to save it because um, we had talked about a, approximately a million games at the at that point. So I just wanted to. Um, save some stuff for this week. Um, these two games are basically just kind of like quick hits. One, I think I like more than the other, but uh, this is a little like VR thing going on. So like, I don't know, like on one hand, I kind of hate to keep bringing VR stuff to the show because I know you don't really care about VR. But on the other hand, like VR is like the newest thing in my gaming life. So I'm constantly sort of like on the prowl for... Um, like new VR stuff to try or anything that's out or stuff that goes on Steam sales. And I know that we have at least one listener, cough, cough, Michael London, cough, cough, who is interested in VR too. So at least, <laughs> at, at the very least, we have one guy out there who uh, is cool with the VR chat. So, I mean, dude, that, that is like service with a smile, right? We have one guy. <laughs> there's literally one guy out of our entire listening audience who has VR. And we're devoting, like, multiple segments just so this one guy, just so Michael London in Sweden can get the lowdown on VR. That is, boy, that is service, dude. We are, we are, we aim to please on this podcast. Yes. I mean, what can I say? Well, maybe also, I, I, thinking about this retrospectively, maybe, like, in 50 years, even though I don't think uh, American civilization will be here in 50 years. Oh, dude, um, no shit. Yeah, maybe, maybe in 50 years when, like, everybody has VR, then... 
they can like somebody can like look back on these shows and be like, I wonder if anybody liked The Secret of Harrow Manor, and then they can listen to me talk about it. I don't know. Maybe maybe this will serve as some kind of VR. VR archive, VR archive, if you will. VR archive. Um, oh, you just coined it. VR archive. There you go. <laughs> of VR games. Um, so the interesting thing about VR too, just to preface a little bit of this discussion, and I was actually talking with um, a friend of both of us, Chris Leggett from Seattle. Um, he was in town, which I talk about in banter. So if you're interested in those stories, uh, listen after the music and all that good stuff. But he, for a while, was working on... I think with the PR company that was working with Windows, sort of like their mixed reality, um, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Like, um, augmented vision stuff. I can't remember yeah, what it's the called. AR, um, the AR stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, like augmented reality. And so we had a kind of a discussion about VR the other night uh, at dinner. And I was telling him that I think the thing that's really, I think, like, fascinating, but also kind of weird and kind of sad about the VR space is, like, I mean, getting into VR is not an easy or cheap thing to do. I mean, I think the cheapest VR set is probably PSVR, which I think is like $250 in that ballpark. Um, and like, I have an HTC Vive, and I think the HTC Vive is like 500 So it's definitely like, we're not talking about like cheap entry. I mean, we they have like the VR headsets that you can like strap certain phones into, and you just like, like the cardboard VR ones that you just put on your face, and like you can watch stuff that way. But for purposes of this show, I'm talking about, like, full-on VR set, have to have a great computer, you know, with controllers and all that stuff. So, but the weird thing is, like, you pay a lot of money to get VR, and then you go on Steam, or you go on, and this is something that didn't occur to me until this week, and this is what part of the um, discussion is going to stem from, the other game store called Itch, that I, like, itch.io, that I talk about every once in a while on the show, that has even, like, more obscure indie stuff on it than the Steam store does, and you find a lot of this weird, like, really shallow, cheaply made sort of shovelware, almost like you would in the app store for your iPhone. <laughs> so it's like you pay, like, $500 to get this, like, next-level gaming virtual reality device, and then you jump on Steam and you find all these, like, you know, 20-minute experiences that were thrown together by two people that are, like, $3. And it's just such a weird, like... I don't know, like, balance? Because, I mean, obviously it would be great if there were a roster of, like, these really deep, you know, $30 to $60 games that were, like, really deep, interesting, innovative VR games. But, I mean, it, the, tr the fact of the matter is that VR is probably not very profitable right now. So, you know, there's only a very small sliver of people out there who can afford it in the first place. And then... Um, so developers, you know, aren't going to be putting VR first over other consoles or over PC or Xbox or PlayStation 4 experiences because that, I mean, I'm sure like the rate of return or like return of investment on it just isn't that great. So, I mean, I just want to start the discussion by saying that that's like a strange thing that I've noticed after having VR and encountering it is the amount of like weird, cheap, shallow shovelware that's on these storefronts for something that you pay like three to $500 to enter in the first place. Um, and that kind of brings me to the two games that I want to talk about this week. Um, the first one is The Secret of Harrow Manor. And this I found on the Steam store. I think it was on sale for like a few bucks. I think, it, I don't know, it's maybe like $15 full price. I probably should have checked my facts on that before we started recording. But it is what it is. Um, I downloaded it because it looked, it was like a first person um, kind of like zombie. And when I say zombie game, I don't mean like the Brookhaven Experiment, which is the um, just like wave shooter that I bought. This kind of looks like if you took Resident Evil and put it into first-person VR, like it seemed 
like the opening level is kind of in a mansion. It's a little bit slower paced. You actually walk around the environment. You don't just stand in a circle and then shoot everything that comes toward you. Um, you have to go pick up keys and pick up guns and stuff. So, like, the premise of it sounded really great. Like, it's kind of like Resident Evil in VR. And I was like, all right, this seems really cool. Seems like I'm really, this would be something I'm really down for. Um, it, it features, it does not feature, we, we, I talk about this on the show a lot, a teleportation mechanic for moving. So you just move in real time, which at first is incredibly jarring, but it's something that I personally get used to really easily, but I know not everybody does because motion sickness is a big thing for that. Um, so that's something to take into account. But what I want to talk about with this game is it's kind of like fundamentally broken from a control perspective. (laughs) I know like this, this is one of those games that like, it kind of pains me because, and I, I say this with love because I literally think like one or two people developed this game. Like if you go to the, um, like the studio is called only human. If you go to their website, they have a list of two current developers. And I think it's like one of them's the writer and one of them's the developer. And under that, they have a list of like people who don't work for them anymore, but have worked on the game. And I think it's like three, or four guys that are on that list so like you know small team i get it what they've done is good for how small of a team it is but there's just like a few things that are going on here that are really bothering me and the first of which is and almost every vr game i've ever played yeah i mean you have the headset on so you can't see anything but the game in front of your face and usually games whenever you hold the controllers up the controllers will be something in the game world there'll be hands there'll be guns there'll be something so you can see what's going on with your hands in the sure, world and sure. see where they like are a visual representation so yeah. you know where your hands are yeah yeah right, right, right. this game doesn't have that so you're walking around and you can't see your hands in the environment which isn't a huge deal but it's just a little bit jarring because i like seeing the representation of what's going on the other thing is the the gun so you start off with the pistol it's just like a like a 1911 looking pistol and for some reason it's in my left hand and i can't find an option to put it in my right hand and i'm right-handed so you you know i I would prefer for the gun to be in my right hand i can't figure out a way to get the gun in my right hand so that's kind of like a weird thing to start with the other thing is that you'd think in a vr game i mean in almost every vr game i've played this far you the gun is there all the time and then you you aim it like you would a real gun you hold the controller in front of your face and then you press the trigger button in order to shoot that's like vr 101 pretty much for games with guns and this game the gun is not there whenever you hold the trigger the gun appears and then you press up on like the d-pad kind of thing it's like the touchpad and that shoots the gun so it's like this weird, and the game, the the, the cra- maybe the craziest thing about it too is that the game has no tutorials. Like you don't, you fall into this mansion, there's like a zombie on a balcony behind you and it's not like hunting you. So luckily you're not like starting off like running your ass off to get away from it. It's like confined to this balcony on the second floor. There's a zombie like across the room in front of you, but it's so far away that it can't see you because um, you have to get close in order for them to like, I don't know, see you or smell you and start walking after you. So you're safe. But the game doesn't say like, hold the trigger to look at the gun or press up. You just have to figure out how to do everything on your own. And as far as I can tell, there's no options menu. So like, I, I like what's going on in the game. Like I like walking around the environment. I like the zombies cause they're kind of slow They They don't like run at you and like claw at your face as soon as they see you. 
But it's just like the fundamental controls are not working. Like holding the trigger to look at the gun and you have to like hold the controller at a weird angle to make the gun point in the right direction, which is another weird thing. And then like pressing up on the touchpad to shoot it. It's just like a... The, like the most bizarre representation of gun shooting that I've seen so far in a VR game. And like, yeah, okay, I get it. The only like one person made this game or like three people, you know, most of whom aren't working with the studio anymore. But it's just weird because it's like, this is like VR 101, like, you know, pulling the trigger to shoot the gun. But in this game, it's just so different. And there's another, there's like an inventory menu that you can bring up so you can like swap to, if you you find, you find a shotgun later, you can like switch to the shotgun. Um, you can switch to a medical pack and use it if you find like uh, first aid kits around the environment. The game doesn't tell you how to access the inventory screen. So I accessed it on accident, completely on accident, just by like swiping my finger a certain way on the touchpad and then it like brings up the inventory in front of you and i was like whoa like first of all how did i open this and second of all like why didn't the game tell me that it was there in the first place and so i was able to kind of like scroll through my inventory a little bit and like equip the shotgun if i wanted to equip it or something like that but the game should have told me how to do it um and then like the thing that is the i mean i think i feel like i've said this three times already the thing that's the most bizarre to me i mean it just keeps like compounding is Whenever I exit, I, I got to a point where I exited the game because on Steam, there's like discussion boards and like news that the developers can put up if they like update the game or if they put it in a new language or something like they usually write a little like blog post thing on the Steam store. So I go there wondering if there's like a control layout post or like a we know some stuff is broken and we're going to fix it post or something like that. And like the newest developer blog for an update in the game, it's like we've added co-op multiplayer. And I was oh like... Oh my fucking God, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, I was like, okay, so like you can't even like point the gun and shoot it well, but like your your priority is adding co-op oh multiplayer God. to this? Oh like, my God. It's just weird because it's like, this is a game that I know I would... I mean, I, do I doubt the game's really long. It's probably like a few hours long. Like I don't think it's some big, giant, robust adventure, but like this is a game that I would gladly play if the controls worked properly. And it's just weird to me that, like, they don't seem to be focused on, like, trying to redo the controls at all. And, like, who knows? Maybe they finished the game and put it behind them and they don't feel like working on it or something. I have no idea what's going on in the developers' lives. Like, they probably have a lot more important things going on than maybe updating this game. But, but... if they're going to put in multiplayer, <laughs> they're still working on the game. I mean, come on. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, that's, like pretty much all I have to say about this game. Like, it's a game that I want to like, but it just has very strange, like, fundamental decisions that have been made that are, like, stopping me from really getting into it. And I, I don't know. Like, that's just kind of that. Um, do you, that is, you know, I mean, that is fucking bizarre because hearing <laughs> that shit, like, it, there's, like, there's, like, a baseline that you have to, like, shoot for when you're making a game. Like, I get that, some developers are better than others. Some are more experienced than others. Some have a bigger budget than others. I get that. But there are certain things that you just have to do if you're going to make a game. Like, for me, like, you need to have a tutorial because everybody's game is slightly different. And, like, look around at, like, what other games have done. Like, I mean, unless there's some kind of incredibly compelling reason for them to do the gun controls the way that they did, it sounds like people are just fucking around. I mean, like, <laughs> it's like when I play a platformer and for some reason... Some asshole decides that jump needs to be, like, the top button on the face pad instead of the bottom button. And, like, in 99% of platformers, it's the bottom button. <laughs> Usually, like, the X or whatever. Like, um, 
So it's like, why did you do that? Why did you, what, what made you think that your game was so different or so special that you had to change this custom control, you know, convention that is so common to like so many games. And like these guys, these jokers, I don't know what their deal is, but like, if you don't understand how a gun works, like if you don't understand lifting a gun and pulling the trigger to fire, what business do you have making a game where you (laughs) even do this? I mean, it's common fucking sense. Unless there is some amazing reason that this needs to change, then you are making a fundamental fucking mistake. And you are either too full of hubris to think that, you know, those rules don't apply to you or you just don't even understand how games work. I mean, I'm assuming there's no fucking compelling reason why the, why the gun is like that. Not that I can tell. Okay. So they're just like, they're just making some kind of like incredibly weird mistake, or they just think that those rules don't apply to them, which to me does not speak very well of like who these people are. I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about only human studios. They're probably nice people who knows, but like as a critic and someone who plays games, when I come across a situation like this, it really calls into question the thinking process behind why you guys even did what you did. So I would be very leery of something like that. That sounds like really just like broken thinking to me. So, um, yeah, right. so, it's, it's bizarre, yeah. bizarre <laughs> secret of Harry Manor. Fuck off. Whatever. Uh, moving on. I can has cheeseburger also known as I can gun by Patrick Koenig based on receiver. Now, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't receiver, an indie game that came out a while ago where you had a gun and like half of the game was about like actually like controlling and reloading the gun like something about like the gun controls was like really the key part of that game is that correct i am shocked that you know what this is because i had never heard of it until i played i can gun didn't you tell me about it i thought you told me about it i did not tell you about this who the hell was I talking to that played receiver? <laughs> I talked to somebody. And I, is that right, though? The receiver yeah. was the one where, like, you had to, like, really... It was, like, um, uh, what is that one game? Like, Quop or something? Q-W-O-P, where, like, the whole game is about, like, managing the controls. Like, I think receiver was managing the gun. Like, load the bullet and move the move the barrel and something. Yeah, you know, it was, like, the whole thing was that. So I'm guessing, is this kind of, like, an iteration on that? Yeah, it is. And you're you're exactly right, because I had never heard of Receiver. And this is part of um, that I didn't think about looking at VR games on itch until the other day, um, which is kind of a game I'm going to talk about later, which is kind of I forgot that this storefront existed. And so whenever I logged on or opened up the itch.io platform, I was like, oh, yeah, they probably have VR games on here. Like, why don't I look around and see what's going on? And I found this game called I Can Gun. And like, in the paragraph that uh, Patrick Koenig has put in there, like describing the game, he like very blatantly says that it's sort of based on Receiver. I had never heard of Receiver, but I think it was free, so I downloaded it because you know I'm all about if it's free, I'll try it, whatever. And it was a first-person shooter in VR that it's a rogue light, and it sort of stressed the fact that you have to like really manage the gun controls in it. So, and this is like a really fascinating thing for me. So, I start playing the game. It's, it just kind of, like, drops you into this map. The I mean, it's not, like, a super fleshed-out game. I want to be pretty um, specific about that. But I think that uh, the um, objective is there's, like, I don't know, like, 12, like, documents or, like, notes in the environment. And you have to, like, make it through the entire environment and pick all of them up without dying. But the thing, the big, um, like, hullabaloo about the game, and you already know what this is because you know what receiver is, is that it features, like, really detailed gun controls. And it's interesting because it's in VR. So... You start with a pistol. I actually don't know if you can get other games other than, or other guns other than the pistol you start with, but it doesn't matter. So you start with a pistol, and you know most games there's a button to shoot and a button to reload, and that's it. That's all your gun controls for the entire game. Well, in this game, 
there is, you know, the trigger obviously shoots because it functions like a VR shooter should, but the if you press the touchpad on the left side of it, it ejects the uh, it ejects the clip. If you press the touchpad on the right side, it uh, turns the safety on and off. If you press the touchpad up, it will if the slide the slide on the gun will get locked back whenever you run out of ammo, which is what happens to a real pistol whenever you're shooting it. Uh, up makes the slide go forward. It's like the slide release. And whenever you eject the magazine, you have to catch it with your other hand or it'll hit the ground and you have to pick it up, which this all sounds really like dumb and it's like really buried in the minutia of like gun mechanics. But I find this game really fascinating because it it basically, the game acts like a real gun does. And I mean, I've shot a lot of guns before, so I know the way pistols work. And so you have to, it's not a game where you just shoot 10 bullets and then you press a button and everything reloads. In this game, you have to, you have, your inventory is kind of floating like at chest level in front of you. And if you look down a little bit, there's like a box of bullets that's sort of floating in your inventory. And then there's a spare clip that's floating in your inventory. And then you have the clip that starts in the gun. So you have to, um, whenever you shoot, I mean, however many bullets you want to shoot, let's just say the entire magazine for, for our sake. Um, you shoot the entire clip clean, the slide locks back on the gun, you have to press left on the D-pad to eject the magazine, and then you either have to catch it in air with your other hand, or you have to reach down and pick it up if it hits the ground. You have to put your gun down, and you have to pick up the box of bullets with one hand, have the clip in your other hand, and every time you press the trigger on the box of bullets while you have it open, it produces a single bullet. You have to load every individual bullet into the clip and then you have to slide you have to put the box of bullets down pick the gun back up slide the clip back into the gun and then press the slide lock release to make the slide go forward which cocks it and uh and chambers around and then you're ready to shoot so it's like really complicated but it's also really fascinating because this is the first game i've ever played that actually because i mean it's like a thing where if you have grown up on first-person shooters, but you've never actually held a real gun or never actually shot a gun, like, yeah, you might know how a gun acts, but, like, there's a huge difference in the in real life of reloading a clip and loading it into a gun and, you know, releasing the slide versus pressing one button in a video game, and it does all of that for you. Um, and it's really fascinating to explore that in a game space. But the other thing that I like about the game is that it controls, it doesn't do the teleporting thing, so you walk in real time. And whenever you're walking around, the enemies are, there's gun turrets that are like planted around and there's drones in some places. And you have to be very careful because you, this is one of those games where you kind of die in one hit. So not only are you managing, like frantically managing reloading your guns and sort of like keeping your gun ready and loaded and cocked and all that stuff, you have to be very careful about how you explore the environment because if you like run out into a hallway and a sentry gun sees you like you can kind of hear the buzz of the sentry gun whenever you get close so it kind of gives you a little bit of warning but if you're just running your ass off like an idiot like i was the first time i played the game i was like running around and there weren't any enemies around and i didn't know what i was trying to do and i like walk into this open warehouse area and all of a sudden this drone appears in the air and like flies down and kills me in one hit and i was like it was like really kind of terrifying at the mo in the moment and i was like Oh my god, like what what has happened? Like what's going on? Cuz I didn't know you only died in one hit. So you have to be very careful about like sneaking around these warehouses and using the controls 
um, sort of like taking it like one step at a time. Like you get to the corner of a room of a doorway and, you know, in real life with your real body, it's probably best for you to like crouch and kind of like pop out and check your corners and have your gun ready because if the sentry sees you when you pop out and shoots you, you're basically toast. So it's like this fascinating mix of having to use your having to know how to manage a gun's mechanics effectively and in times of crisis um, mixed with having to be very careful about the way you're moving about the environment and about how, you know, peeking around corners and maybe crouching and hiding behind stuff instead of just pointing a gun and shooting at a bunch because you have to be very careful about the ammo that you're using and know that if you burn through too many bullets, you're going to spend you know, 45 seconds just reloading the gun rather than pressing one button and having the gun reload for you. So I, I, I mean, this isn't the kind of game that I think I'm going to keep going back to because essentially it's just like a roguelite and I'm not really into those, but I just find the mechanics of this game incredibly fascinating and it, and it translates so well into VR because I went to look at receiver after this, and Receiver looks like a better-made game because probably more people worked on it. It came first. It seems stylized in a better way than I Can Gun, but I don't think Receiver is in VR, and I was expecting it to be in VR, and I was like, oh, awesome. Well, I can go play Receiver now and, like, try to find, like, I don't know, the better version of this game, but I don't think it's in VR, so I'm not really interested in playing it if it's not in VR because that's what really makes I Can Gun special to me is that you're managing this stuff with your hands in real life, and it feels really how managing a gun feels like in real life, which kind of makes me sound like a serial killer. But um, but I like I like what this game is doing. I think it's really fascinating, and I don't – I mean, I wouldn't want real-life reload mechanics in every single game I play ever, but I like this idea that finally there's a game that – really shows you what it's like to handle a pistol and kind of how you have to manage it in a realistic way. And I don't know, it's all about like crisis management and timing and it makes you much more careful about choosing your shots and shooting and peeking around corners and all that kind of stuff because you don't have a hundred bullets behind you and you don't just press one button to reload. So it's very, um, it's all about really clever time management and like risk management. Interesting. That sounds really interesting. Um, just from like a interface perspective, because I've actually never fired like, well, that's not true. I've fired like um, a hunting rifle, I guess, like way back in the day, but never like a pistol or anything, you know, anything heavier, dutier than that. So I would not by any stretch of the imagination say that I was like familiar or comfortable. With guns. <laughs> I know you're more of a uh, more knowledgeable about that. So I would, of course, defer to your expertise here. But it sounds interesting that somebody would would kind of, you know, dig into that and kind of like uh, deconstruct it a little bit and show people a little bit more about the mechanics um interesting interesting you kind of triggered something in my memory though when you were talking about peeking around corners in the drone um a while ago so two things i i was i was at a friend's house uh and i was outside on their front yard and i heard a noise and i didn't know what the noise was and i was trying to figure it out i didn't know if somebody was weed whacking or you know leaf blowing or some shit or who knows what and it just it took me a while to figure it out but then i after a while i realized there was like a drone overhead and it was really (laughs) really far overhead like it wasn't 10 feet above me it was probably like 150 feet maybe 200 feet above me um and so the noise wasn't super loud but you could hear it when it got quiet and then it was like where is it what's going on and that kind of made me think (laughs) of like like 
we're all we're all in such a hurry to rush towards the dystopian skynet future and i'm like if that drone had a gun on it i would have been dead a hundred <laughs> times over before i even knew it was there you know and the same thing for i don't know if you saw a video that like you know you know that company boston dynamics they're the people that make all those crazy robots that oh walk all over the place you've yeah. seen those right yes so they just put out a new video like last week of this four-legged robot that was like navigating stairs and going up and opening doors and you know going through these small areas and i'm like dude you know someone's gonna strap a fucking gun to that thing and it's gonna fucking sneak up on you i don't know how quiet it is it seemed like it was pretty quiet but just the fact that it could come open doors and go through things and climb over things and that combined with a drone that could easily be two three four hundred feet above you you wouldn't even know it was there i'm like god damn it we are so keen on getting to the fucking terminator future we are so rushing towards dystopia that we just can't stand it we can't get there fast enough and then it's going to be like people are going to start dying these things are going to be weaponized absolutely 100 for sure there's no way these things are going to have like first aid kits strapped to them these are going to have fucking guns strapped to them <laughs> and you better fucking hope and pray that you know somebody who likes you is in control of those things so this has nothing to do with anything what you're saying about um i can gun <laughs> But just your your thought about, like, peeking around the corner, watching out for the drones, watching out for the gun emplacements, like, totally reminded me of, like, how fucking creepy it was to realize that that drone had been above me that whole time and I didn't really know where it was or what it was at first. I mean, like, literally, it could have shot me a thousand times and I never would have even known it was there. So that was just, like, the shittiest, weirdest, creepiest feeling. So I don't know if you've ever thought about our impending Terminator future and the idea that Donald Trump and the Republicans are going to be controlling those things. Cause that is a little bit frightening to me. I don't know about you, but that scares the shit out of me. Uh, well, I would hope that, I mean, I feel like Boston dynamics is going to be ground zero for horizon zero dawn in real life, because basically they're like making small versions of those kind of robots. They're just not sentient yet. Um, I would keep my fingers crossed that Boston dynamics, because they're a private company, I hope that, you know, the government would never control them or what have you. Um, but I do think what they're doing is kind of terrifying. Um, oh, they, money talks. Man, money talks. Enough money, they'll sell out. Dude, anybody will yeah. sell out for the right amount of money. Um, Ooh, uh, so, yeah. God, I'm not going like to be able to sleep at night, dude. You're like um, drone to weed eater. Um, comparison is not far off, though, because one of my parkour friends in town who's a videographer, he has a drone, so he's, like, flown it a bunch around me. And I never thought about that before, but it actually does sound like a weed eater um, in the air. But and but I think something that's fascinating about that, too, is, like, I think people who have never been around drones, they tend to think that they're these, like, silent flying machines that, like, can just, like, come up and, like, shoot a sleeping dart into your neck. But drones are loud. I mean, they can be a mile in the air and you could hear them. And you might not know where they are because they're, like, high, so high up that you can't really see them. But, I mean, they're loud machines because they have, like, four, um, like, helicopter blades on them usually. And even if they're small little drones, like... I think sometimes there's this idea that's maybe perpetuated by games like Splinter Cell because you have, uh, you know, stealth drones in those games that somebody turns on a drone and it's just, just this like silent entity that's flying around. But they're actually pretty loud and they're uh, once you know what it is, it's unmistakable and you might not know exactly where it is, but you can always hear them even if they're in like a mile radius of you. Yeah, which is which is a good thing. But I mean, I don't know. They're going to work on making them quieter. There's other drones as well. I saw another video. Uh, just to, sorry, we're going off on a tangent here, folks, but, um, <laughs> you know, I saw other types of drones. Like there was one that went in the water. There was a, one that was kind of like in the, in the shape of like a snake or a caterpillar that was designed to go up like sewer pipes. 
And like you can't hear that one. Like it's just going up your pipes, and it'll come out your toilet, or it'll come out like your sink oh if you have a gun or something. Or if it would, if it would be strapped with explosives, it could literally be like directly underneath your sink as it crawled up through that thing because it would like twist and turn, and it was able to like push itself against the wall. So it would like it would it would go up the pipes, and it's like I look at these things and I'm like, brother, what are you making this thing for? Like, what do you think this is going to be used for? Like, is it, uh, you're either going to put every plumber in the world out of a job or you're going to make this powerful weapon that nobody's going to see coming. You're going to get, sh- you're going to get blown to bits while you're taking a shit on the toilet. Like this thing's <laughs> going to come up and you're going to die. Like I just, I look at this stuff and I'm like, God damn it. People are so fucked up. We make all this shit. And we don't think about the bad purposes it's going to be put to. And I'm like, we just, ah, all these ways we're going to kill each other. Oh, it's making me it's disturbing, man. It's disturbing. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, that, that was anyway. I can gun. Let's switch gears. I know you've got some stuff you yes, want to talk about, so let's move on. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going into my paranoid <laughs> delusional face here. Help. I'm spiraling. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, I can gun. And what was the first one you mentioned? Secret uh, of Harrow Manor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Moving on. I am going to be talking about Pizza Titan Ultra, which is developed <laughs> by Complete Change of Pacer. Developed by Breakfall. Can we just like, can we just take a minute here and dissect the name of this game for a minute? Pizza Titan Ultra. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good name. What do you think? I mean, it's excellent. I'm having flashbacks to um, the, what was it, Light Fingers that we talked about last week. So this game is called Pizza Titan Ultra. I'm going to guess that it has nothing to do with pizza, has nothing to do with Titans, and it's probably not going to be Ultra. Or is it all three of those things? It is actually all three of those things. It's a pretty oh, good Yes, <laughs> there is a god. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so backing this way up, uh, Corey, I'm sure you probably know or have played, but I mean, are you familiar with Crazy Taxi from Sega? Oh, yeah. I mean, I never played it a lot, but I remember seeing it in every arcade I ever went in, in every movie theater when I was a child. Okay, so crazy. Okay, good. Crazy Taxi was real huge when it came out, and for people who have not played it, uh, it was a big arcade franchise where you were a taxi driver. You picked up people who were on the street and then the game was like racing to get them to their <laughs> objective, like as fast as possible. And you like went off ramps, you took shortcuts, you, you crashed through stuff, like whatever it took to get them there in time. As soon as you dropped them off, you picked up another person and you drove back across town. Crazy driving, like super crazy driving, like arcadey, but also like stunt driving. And it had... Uh, I think a number of Offspring songs, and that was like a big driver at the time. The Offspring were really huge at that time, and so like it was like the perfect soundtrack for the perfect kind of game. So okay, so keep that in mind, uh, because now we're talking about Pizza Titan Ultra. So <laughs> this is basically Crazy Taxi, except instead of a taxi, you're in like a like a fifty story tall robot. The pizza oven is inside its chest, <laughs> and you are running and dashing and punching and flying across the map to deliver pizzas to people all across town. So that's basically it. Okay. Yes. Let me stop you for a second. If if in 30 seconds you tell me that this game is not good, I'm canceling the podcast indefinitely. Uh, No, it's good. It's good. Okay, good. All right. Okay. (laughs) Because that is like a killer, killer premise, right? Like that sounds like an amazing game. It would be a shame if it was bad, but no, it is actually good. I do like it. So, uh, (laughs) um, it's, it comes from a pretty small team, obviously an indie team, uh, and basically, like, like if you're familiar with Crazy Taxi, or even if you're not, you start off in this robot, uh, and it's goofy. It does not take itself seriously, which is great. That is the correct tone for this game to take. They're just like, yeah, we're in the future, and everybody loves pizza, right? And we got this giant robot, and that's how we deliver pizza. Yeah! And, like, you just, you don't question it. You just roll with it. Whatever. It's just goofy fun. 
So you're in this robot and people across town will be like, I want a pizza. And a little marker shows up on your map. It looks like a not quite a top down, kind of like an isometric sort of a viewpoint. And you just see the, the marker on your map. These guys want a pizza and you just get there like ASAP. So you can run. Uh, if you have enough power, you can do like a super dash. You can fly and glide. And then there will also be like these enemies in the area. They're from like a rival like pizza chain or something like there's like, helicopters and tanks that you can kick or punch or whatever. And so you're just like running from place to place. And when you get to the place where you need to deliver the pizza, you <laughs> this is kind of the funny part. You, it's like it's like a sky rise building or something like a, like a long apartment building. You fucking punch your fist into the wall of the building and it shows the inside of the apartment. It's like this giant robot fist comes through and opens up, blow, like destroys the wall and the fist opens up and then you deliver the pizza and everyone's like, oh, rad, thanks. Like nobody says, oh my God, you destroyed my palace. They're just like, yeah, pizza, hooray. So it's really funny. It's pretty simple formula. I mean, I think you basically like every time you get to a new map, it's like, oh, just deliver pizza as long as you can. And then once you do that once, you can do different challenges. And the challenges are like, uh, you know, oh, um, I don't know, collect $50 before you deliver pizza or destroy five tanks before you deliver the pizza or, you know, like whatever. Like there's all these little micro challenges. They're all very simple and straightforward and they all can be done as you're delivering pizza. So you're always delivering pizza no matter what. But you'll have these little side stories of like, you know, just like, oh, do this thing and do this other thing to kind of keep it fresh. So it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Um, there's not really a lot to the formula, which is kind of good because uh, I'm playing it on the Switch right now, and I think it's super fun for like five or ten minutes. I'm super into it for five or ten minutes, running around, delivering pizza, punching buildings, being a big robot. But then after five or ten minutes, just like with Crazy Taxi, after five or ten minutes, you're like, okay, I'm good. Like, I want to move on. And then you're done. And then you know, like in an hour or two hours or the next day, you're like, oh, I could go for five or 10 more minutes of that. And you jump back into it. You do five or 10 more minutes. You're good. And then you come back to it. So I think it's perfect as like a between game filler or like a little palate cleanser. It's not something that you're going to like marathon for six hours unless you're a crazy person. But I think that it's really good between games or just like, you know, once or twice a day, like I'll jump onto it in the morning, deliver a couple pizzas, do a couple mini challenges, earn a couple bucks. And then you're like, I'm good. Like, I don't need to keep playing it. And it's fine. Like, it's not meant for like marathon plays so if you want something that's really arcadey really simple and easy to get into and it's just it's just very straightforward there's not a lot of not a lot of stuff to figure out like it's not very tricky you don't really have to like get an faq or anything it's just jump in run around be a robot crush stuff deliver pizzas um there's a little bit of a story mode in it which is just basically for goofiness like they do a lot of references to other properties there's been like a captain planet reference there's a parappa the rapper reference there's a Bob Ross reference. There's a couple other <laughs> references in there. It's all just for fun. It's all goofy. It's none of it is heavy or serious. Uh, you can also customize your robot, change the colors. You can change parts on it. Like it's all just cosmetic. It doesn't change the way the robot plays, but just, you know, if you want it to look cooler and that's basically about it. Like it's just a real light, accessible, fun, quickie, jump in, be a robot delivering pizza. That's all you get. And it's, it's good. I, I think it's great in five or 10 minute stretches. I think it's a lot of fun. So I would recommend it to people. This sounds um, like it better be your game of the year. I'm going to be pissed. And also, it sounds like the kind of thing that I would want Platinum Games with their Transformers like prowess to hijack this and make the sequel for it. That would be pretty cool. If your robot could transform, I don't believe your robot can transform, but if it could transform, that would be like the number one thing to make this game better. So hopefully they will like think about DLC or something, or if Platinum would buy this, buy this <laughs> IP from them and take it over, that would be pretty dope. 
but as it is, it's real fun. I think it's a really great spiritual sequel to Crazy Taxi. Like, it doesn't... You don't go off ramps. I mean, it doesn't have the same moment-to-moment, like, adrenaline rush of, like, flying off a parking building and crashing down at the docks. And, you know, it doesn't have the same kinetic feeling that Crazy Taxi does. But I think spiritually, you're doing the same thing. It's got the same sort of, like, vibe to it. Same goofy off-the-wall. Just arcadey, real simple, real accessible, fun for 10 minutes. So I like it a lot. Not going to be my game of the year. I will spoil that right now. Not my game of the year. (laughs) So don't think about that. But it's definitely good. I think it runs fine on the Switch. I was a little concerned about getting on the Switch. I wasn't sure if I should go PS4 or Switch, but I went Switch. I'm really glad that I did because it runs fine. And it's the exact kind of thing where you're, you're on a bus, you're at work, you just got five, 10 minutes. You can totally jump in and do one or two missions and then you're good. So it's very, very good on the Switch. I would recommend it there. No problem. So there you go. Pizza Titan Ultra. Any final thoughts, Corey? Uh, my final thought is if I were hungry enough, I would be fine with a robot punching through my wall and ruining my house to deliver me pizza. And I would cheer for that as well. These people must be starving because literally no one complains at all and your house is fucking destroyed. But hey, (laughs) it must be really good pizza. Uh, All right. Pizza Titan Ultra from Breakfall. Liked it. Uh, Now, back to you, sir. You're going to be talking about Other Side, uh, developed by someone named Ben Lapid. I've never heard of this. I don't know anything about it. Uh, Please tell us about Other Side. All one word. I would love to. So one of the perks, if you will, of... um hosting a podcast and about writing for a game site, even though I don't write for game critics that much anymore. Um, but is that every once in a while, cause I always, for the longest time I had considered, I mean, obviously because you're like the editor of game critics, you're in like a superior position to me and game critics. And I'm not saying this is like something that I dislike, but you are the one that manages all of the PR emails. Like everybody emails you, they want to send you games. They want the staff to review them, blah, 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 this and that. But the longer I've been sort of affiliated with game critics, and this doesn't happen often, but, and the longer we've been doing the podcast, because the podcast is kind of like its own thing also, every once in a while, um, one of the perks of doing this kind of thing is that someone will just reach out to me directly, and they won't go through you, they won't go through, you know, quote unquote, proper channels of, um, you know, the editorial ladder, if you will, of game critics, and they will just see that I host a podcast or see that I write, or maybe they'll see one of my clips on game critics or something like that. They'll find me on Twitter uh, probably every, actually every time they find me on Twitter. I don't think I've ever received an email. Um, And they'll DM me and just be like, hey, I have this game. Um, Would you be interested in playing it? And the first couple times that happened, I thought it was really weird because I had never like personally managed uh, sort of like um, communicating with sort of like PR people or, and I mean, I guess they weren't really PR people. It's usually just indie devs who, you know, it's one person, they make their game and they're just like desperately trying to get people to play them. Um, but the more it happened, the more, like, I guess I've, like, warmed up to it. And so last week, a uh, developer by the name oh my God, I can't even speak. A, last week, a developer by the name of Ben Lapid, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, um, he found me on Twitter and DM'd me, and he said something like, hey, I uh, saw that you like horror games or something like that. Um, I see that you work for game critics. Um, I, would you be interested in playing this game? It's pretty short. It's kind of a horror sci-fi experience. He said something to that effect. And he basically was saying all the right things to like trigger me to want to be interested because he said horror, he said short, he said sci-fi. And I was like, all right, like this sounds pretty interesting. And so he had just launched this game called Other Side, and I believe it's the first game he's made. Um, 
It's on Itch. It's not on Steam. It's free, but of course he does take tips. Like basically everybody who puts a free game on on Itch or on Steam, they you know if you want to tip them, obviously they would probably love that. Um, so I decided, yeah, sure, I'll try this game. Um, so I played some of it last night. And I played some of it this morning, which sounds weird because the game is literally like ten to fifteen minutes long. Like it's not a thirty-hour experience. It's not even an hour-long experience. Um, so I played it. I made the mistake of starting it last night, and I was really, really tired whenever I started it. So I kind of like got lost a little bit and kind of didn't know what to do. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to bed. I'll give this game a fresh chance in the morning. And that's exactly what I did today. I played it before we started recording, and I actually played the whole thing. I did not get lost. So this game is, if you have ever heard me say on the show before, the and I say this with love, the game genre that I'm very fond of, that I like to spend time in, that I refer to as indie jank, this is sort of falls into that category because it's a very small indie experience that maybe has not quite like the polish on it that you would expect, obviously, from like a rock star that works all their, uh, you know, their, all their studios put in a hundred hours of work week or whatever. Like, obviously it's not going to have that level of polish. Cause I'm sure Ben, this guy probably has a full-time job. He maybe has, uh, I don't know, like, um, parents and kids. I don't really know anything about him, but he probably has a lot going on and just kind of made this in his spare time. I don't know if it's like a school thing or something. So it's like a short, um, First-person experience, um, I guess walking sim-esque with some light puzzle elements where you play as a person who is sort of experiencing this weird, like, sort of, like, sci-fi, um, kind of, like, reality, like, rift in reality, like, parallel reality kind of thing. And it's, I mean, the game sort of presents itself, like, it's not very story-heavy. It's It doesn't give you three paragraphs of backstory. It basically just drops you into this world. And the thing that is immediately apparent that I like the most about it is that it visually, it looks, it's beautiful. First of all, it's absolutely gorgeous. And it looks sort of unlike any game I've ever played before because it drops you in and it's sort of like this weird puzzle room thing that you're looking at. And there's this like kind of like sculpture in front of you. And it looks like two sort of like giant mannequin heads that are like like back to back almost so they're looking in opposite directions and there's like this portal gate thing in the middle of it and there's these stepping stones that sort of lead you up to the portal entry and the under the stepping stones this is a weird kind of like milky water stuff that i don't know it just looks really I, like i can't even think of anything to compare it to it, it's kind of like this weird sort of avant-garde um like, everything looks shiny in a way, but in, like, a cool way. Like, the whole ceiling kind of looks like this giant chandelier, and it's gorgeous. And I'm lucky that my computer can run it at, uh, you know, at its highest graphics setting with no hiccups because it. I think this game deserves to be played at full graphical prowess because it just has this very, like, kind of, like, pearlescent, diamondy tone to the whole world and... You start in the level, you walk up to the portal, realize that you can't get into the portal, and there's like a little puzzle you have to solve in order to get the portal to, to open. And then once you go through the portal, it basically just kind of transports you to a different, like incredibly well-crafted, like avant-garde looking scenario as well. Like the room you start in is like white and very diamondy and pearly. And then you move into a room that's more like black and it's like this sort of like black and midnight blue like liquid that you're standing in, which sounds gross, but it just looks 
really incredible. And there's this like giant kind of skyscrapery looking structure in front of you in the middle of this liquid. This sort of looks like it's made out of these blue pearls in a way. And you have to like shift them around to solve this puzzle within them. And then you get transported to a room that has all these like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a dark gold room that has these sort of mannequin. It's like that mannequin head thing again, but they're like gold in their brain area. It's kind of like shimmery and I don't know, the whole thing, it, it's like, I don't know, it just looks like, a, like an art piece, like kind of like an experimental interactive art piece. And I mean, I'm like making an air jerk off motion as I say those things because it sounds really like pretentious whenever I say it. But I mean, it's a short experience. I'm not going to talk about the whole game because I mean, if people want to play it, if they're interested in this kind of thing, I'm not going to like spoil the, this like 10 minute experience. But um, I mean, for what it was, I liked it. And I think it's really beautiful. It just looks like... Man, like, I, it's just hard to describe. Like, it just looks really luxurious and really sci-fi and really avant-garde and um, just, like, the textures of everything in the world. I'm just really impressed with the way they look, especially if this is his first game. So everything's really gorgeous. Um, I, I kind of wish it were longer, and I kind of wish it had more of, like, a real story tying it all together. But I understand that this is probably his first game, and he probably... I mean, spent most of the time working on, like, the textures and the environment and sort of the way everything looks. I just like the world that is crafted for this, and I kind of wish there were more of it. Um, but I like what's happening here. I hope that he continues to make more things because it looks really neat. I just like, I can't say this enough, just the environment that he has crafted for this strange world just looks, uh, you know, kind of unlike anything I've played, and it's really gorgeous. Um, I, I, I suspect that... All of these words that I've been saying have not really piqued your interest in this game very much because this kind of seems like the kind of thing you would run away from if you saw. But uh, anything I'm saying sounding interesting to you? Um, I mean, <clears throat> I guess it's just I mean, I'm, I'm in my head. I'm thinking, oh, good for you. Any developer who's got a really cool graphics engine and I'm happy for you. And hopefully you'll be able to turn that into something more substantial because Usually, like, graphics is not a place where indies really succeed very well. I mean, you know, I think most of them... And, of course, there's exceptions. I don't mean to paint everybody with the same brush, of course. I mean, but, like, you know, in general, graphical prowess is not something that you generally associate with indies. And if, if they do look great, it's usually some outstanding pixel work or something like that. So to hear that you're really taken with the graphics is, you know, that's interesting. It's not something that I hear that often, especially coming from a team of, like, one person or two people or whatever. Um, but I... I'm like listening to it and I'm like, I don't even know what the game even is or like what you even do. It sounds pretty, but I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know. I mean, like you want to say real quick about what you actually did in it though. I mean, you just kind of like walk. I mean, the whole game is contained within about four or five rooms and you solve like a little puzzle in every room. And then you get stranded in this kind of like abyss like area that maybe you think you can't escape. And I don't know. It's it's the game doesn't have a whole lot going on in the story department, and I don't know if the game is smarter than I am because sometimes I have this problem with these kind of like pretentious indies, if you will, where like the, maybe the creator had some kind of vision where you know it's a very carefully thought through, and it's sort of like high level references, and I'm just like not smart enough to understand it, or if it's just a bunch of like weird symbolism and maybe the person who created the game doesn't understand it either or doesn't really articulate that 
sort of like what's grounding everything happening in the game very well. Um, so like I, it's weird because I recommend this. Obviously, it's free, so that's a big part of the recommendation. But it's and it's only like ten or fifteen minutes long, depending on how well you can solve the handful of puzzles in it. Um, but it's not great at like articulating exactly what it's about to the player. Um, and even if, cause like I have some ideas about what I think is going on here, but I don't want to spoil them, especially because the game is so short. Um, so, I mean, that's probably not a very satisfying answer, <laughs> I mean, but I'll just kind we, of leave we, it at that. We've literally been talking about the game longer than it takes to complete the game. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> we probably shouldn't spoil anything. We should probably just like let people play it for themselves. I agree. Like literally longer than 10 minutes. So yes. Yeah. Okay. So if, if any of the stuff I've said is interesting to anybody listening, the game is called other side. It is one word. It's by Ben Lapid. It's not on steam. It's on itch or itch.io. I still don't know how to name that storefront. I don't know what it's called specifically, but you have to go to the storefront for that and download it from there. It's free. Um, I believe Ben is accepting, you know, tips or it's kind of like a pay what you want kind of thing. So, um, but I do, I think it's really cool. And I think if you're interested in this kind of weird, like, like I like to say the indie jank scene of PC, but this is like, just like the graphics on this are so refined and so like, uh, just, I wish that I could think of a good word to describe them. Um, but I, I just, I don't know, I can't, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of the game Echo that I played uh, last year or the year before that I loved because it takes place on this like alien planet and everything is kind of like grounded and weird, like kind of like um, like uh, 20 or 2001 A Space Odyssey looking stuff, like the room where it has like the light panels on the floor, but it has like sort of like an old timey bed and it like that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from this game a little bit, but I think it's really gorgeous. I like what's happening, and I hope that this guy continues to make more games because I feel like he could really take this sort of vision that he has and make something even better with it. Um, but yeah, it's Other Side by Ben Lapid. By all means, go try it out. It's free. Um, I recommend it, even though it's weird and it's short and it's small. Uh, but that's nah, that's it. That's what I have to say about that, I guess. That's what she said. And yes. moving on. <laughs> Because it's weird and it's short and it's small, but she still recommends it. Yeah, she anyway, probably said that to you, I bet. Oh, totally. Yeah, or, 100%. Or, dude, or that's, about you. Oh, abs- 100%. <laughs> absolutely. Best experience of my life. Um, moving on. Call of Cthulhu, developed by Cyanide, published by Focus Home Interactive. Now, this game is currently under embargo, but by the time that we edit and publish, the embargo will be over. The embargo drops in two days on the 30th, so I'm free to talk about it right now because I know... This show will not be up before that. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is a first-person detective game, which is based on the actual game of Call of Cthulhu, put out by Chaosium, which is a tabletop pen and paper game. I've never played it, but I'm aware of it. Obviously based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, uh, this game integrates some of the mechanics from the tabletop game in the sense of you have stats and you use those stats to interact with your environment. Um, it starts off that you are in a very classic Lovecraft way. You are a detective who is kind of down and out alcoholic, of course. Uh, and this is like, I think post world war one, I, I believe if you want to keep that kind of time frame in mind, somebody comes into the office says, Hey man, I got a case for you. It's really fucked up and weird. I need you to investigate. I think something spooky's going on, and you're like, totes, got nothing else to do, I'm on it. And you roll to the spooky island 
in the northeast coast of America, like, I don't know exactly, like off the coast of Maine or something like that. I forget exactly. But, you know, the whole the whole classic Cthulhu, like northeastern, spooky, cold kind of area. And you start investigating. The, the gist of the, the mystery is that there is a woman who was a very famous painter and she paints super creepy paintings and she mysteriously dies in a fire. Her father thinks something is up with this and you go to investigate. And as I'm sure anybody even remotely familiar with Cthulhu knows, uh, spooky, otherworldly stuff is going to happen. Crazy stuff's going to happen. Insanity is going to play a role. Tentacles are going to be present. And, you know, stuff goes from there. Uh, like I said, this is a first-person game, which I'm not 100% down with because I'm really kind of, like, getting tired of first-person games lately. But I do like good Cthulhu, and I decided to jump in. And the thing that really struck me about this game is that you really do play as a detective. It's not a shooter. There is, so far, zero combat, and I'm about halfway through the game. Um, I, I think that probably some combat will probably come up at the end. But so far, like, what you're doing is you're talking to people, you're investigating areas, you're finding clues, you're putting clues together, you're progressing a storyline, and there have been multiple path branches. So when you look at your character, there's, I think, one to seven stats he has... Stuff like um, physical strength, investigation, psychology, medicine, the occult, eh, one or two more, I forget. So you just, you know, you allocate points as you go, like you do certain tasks and you'll get a point here, a point there, and you kind of build your character as you go. And certain challenges will pop on the environment. So if you if you imagine like walking around this island, there's, you know, people standing around. You talk to them, and then there will be, like, a thing that says, oh, you know, test your psychology. And it won't tell you, like, what the requirement is. It'll just say test it. So you can give it a shot if you want to. And then you think, well, if my psychology is, like, level three, is that enough to figure out what's going on? And you just try it. And you don't know the outcome before you try it. And it'll either be you don't figure it out, and you just get no information. Or you do figure it out, and then it'll lead you on a different path. So you have lots of these different uh, interactions with people. So, which is pretty interesting. And I really like so far that it's just about investigation because I was not up for another first-person shooter. Uh, the Cthulhu stories are usually about somebody discovering some horrible truth about the universe, slowly going insane, and they almost always die at the end. So it doesn't make any sense to have those turn into a first-person shooter and to take a gun and shoot some, you know, other-dimensional monsters because usually they're way more powerful and they just can't be defeated. Uh, so I think that so far the game is very faithful to what I would imagine a Cthulhu story being very much sticks to like, I, I don't want to say like, it's like typical HP Lovecraft because I don't think that there's a lot of games that really nail Lovecraft. I think they take a lot of elements. Cthulhu's in a lot of stuff. The idea of going insane from seeing monsters is in a lot of stuff. Um, you know, elements of Lovecraft are in a lot of games, but I don't think there are very many games that really try to deliver a very authentic, very faithful to the source material. This is what a, C a Cthulhu story is like. This is what a Lovecraft story is like. But this one feels very much like that. It feels very much like if you've read any of the stories or if you're familiar with the work in real life, the books, this, this is like that. Like you find some clues, you're talking to people who are fucking weird. You have really <laughs> bad dreams for a long time. You stumble across some weird artifact that fucks you up because it has some kind of weird energy to it. 
and things just get worse and worse and worse and it never gets better and then you're probably going to die at the end like that's basically how all the stories go <laughs> no spoilers these stories have been out for like i don't even know how long 100 years or however long it's been since hp lovecraft wrote his stories um so i think they do a good job at being very faithful and i really like just the investigation and the talking and the stats uh it's it's very cool the environments are small very small sometimes slightly open worldish sometimes very contained sometimes you're in uh like a dock at the waterfront sometimes you're inside a library sometimes you're in someone's room sometimes you're at a bar i mean the game kind of shepherds you from location to location so you're not like driving anywhere you're not like like navigation is never part of it like you're not traversing anything you just kind of go from location to location as as the game sees fit and it just kind of like unspools the story as you go so I don't want to say anything more than that, but if you're at all familiar with H.P. Lovecraft and Cthulhu stories, you can basically, like, before you even play this game, you can already kind of guess how this game goes. But that's fine, because I think that there's not a lot out there. I think probably the closest thing to this game is Dark Corners of the Earth. Did you ever play that on, I think it was on 360, perhaps? Did you ever play that, Corey? Mm, I have not even heard of this. That was probably the most faithful, the most effective H.P. Lovecraft game I don't know. It was something, it was something, something dark corners of the earth is what it's called. I don't know if it was like Cthulhu dark corners of the earth or something like that. But if you look up dark corners of the earth that you'll find it real quickly. And that was like so far the best, most faithful. I think this one is probably a little bit more faithful because combat is much less of a, a role or less of a factor. Uh, but it's good. I like it so far. Um, it's janky. It's, you know, you can tell the production values are a little bit lower than I would like. It's rough. Um, I've hit a couple of minor bugs, but nothing big. So, I mean, it's not like a AAA budget game, but that's fine. I think it's very solidly in the B tier, which is perfect for a game like this. And uh, it does what it sets out to do. And I'm only about halfway through, but I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm a fan of Cthulhu and stuff, and I like how they're, they're handling it. And it's spooky without being too spooky so far. And it's, 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 it's a good story. Good, very classic, very classic Lovecraft story. So, yeah, I mean, that's all I have to say about it so far. Thoughts? Is this your thing at all? You're not, you're not doing the, uh, the Lovecraft stuff, are you? Well, I don't know, because I don't really have any, like, experience with Lovecraft stuff. Um, but, at, like, every, this is one of those games that I was always interested in, but I always kind of forgot it was a thing. Like, I would maybe see, like, one article about it as scrolling through Twitter every three months, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's coming out. I'm interested in that. And I just like, and then I forget about it, you know, five minutes later until a month later, and then I see it again somewhere on my Twitter timeline. But everything you're saying about this game sounds incredibly up my alley because it sounds like things that I like in games. I mean, it's first person. I like first person games. I'm a okay with first person games not having combat. It sounds like a lot of sort of investigative work, and you know how much I like looking through people's shit simulators and. If it has that sort of Lovecraftian kind of surreal horror twist on it, I mean, I'm into uh, games that sort of have that, I guess, like palette or vibe, if you will. So the whole time you were talking about this game, I don't think my ears could have been perking up like any more than they possibly were. This sounds very, very up my alley. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't sure if you liked Lovecraft stuff or if you were allergic to it, because I don't think we've really even talked about it much on the show. Um, I'm definitely a fan. I mean, I've read some of the stories. I have a lot of the books. 
Um, and so I, I know the original source material and I do like just kind of the concept of it. I've played some of the other games that have been related to it. Like Elder Sign on iOS was actually really excellent. I thought that was quite good. Um, I did like Dark Corners of the Earth. I thought that was quite good as well. Uh, but if you're not super familiar with Cthulhu stuff or Lovecraft stuff, um, I think this is probably like a perfect place to start because it captures all of the classic elements. It really captures the flavor of like what most of these stories are about. And it really does a good job of communicating like the otherworldliness and the spookiness and the insanity part of it. Um, if you've never played anything like this or you don't have a lot of experience with it, I would say this is a very, very good place to start. Um, I do like that they capture the, the correct quality of like these things being so scary and powerful because the idea of shooting a gun at Cthulhu is like completely ludicrous. And so <laughs> they just remove that from the table altogether and investigating, talking to people, having stats, having branching paths some puzzles to solve. Like this is all very, very, very much in the correct vein of where it needs to be. So I'm liking it so far. And if this sounds even remotely interesting, I think this is totally something that you should rent or pick up because um, I know that you like walking Sims a lot more than I do. And you're definitely more about the whole looking in people's shit like way more than I like to do that. <laughs> this has all those things. Plus it has spooky and I know you like spooky. So this could be something that you would really, really like a lot. So maybe, maybe check this out. And okay. So I just went to Gamefly to put it in my game queue and wouldn't you know, I already had it in there. So I was already thinking about this game. Um, my, I think my final question as a follow-up is that I know that you're not particularly keen on scary games and this doesn't sound like it's some kind of survival horror experience, but is there like is it scary at all in a way that puts you off knowing that you're not into horror games and I am or is it just like sort of a suspense mystery? Um so it's like both. I mean, so first off, I got into Cthulhu and stuff before I started getting really scared of things and so I kind of already <laughs> am like really familiar with it. So that helps cuz I already know what to expect. I already know basically all the what the major beats are going to be. So that's fine. Um, and I do really like how this game spends a lot of time with just the investigation, at least in the beginning, like things do not get crazy right off the bat. And so you have a long time where you're just being a detective, like talking to people, figuring things out, checking things out. And that really like did a really good job of getting me into the game, getting me kind of invested in what was going on. I thought it was very well paced for this kind of story. Great, great pace. Um, it does get spooky later on. Um, there are parts where you're being chased there are parts where you're trying to hide. I mean, things pop up and there are definitely spooky elements, but so far it's been manageable. I haven't been too scared. Um, that said, I usually play it during the day when other people are around and I don't wear <laughs> headphones or anything. So I, I bet on the scale of scary games, it would probably be pretty low. Like, I don't think most people would find it to be very scary. Uh, but for me, since I'm extra sensitive, um, I'm still getting through it. No problem. I haven't had to bail because of fear or anything like that, but um, there's a couple sections that kind of creep me out a little bit, but overall, I bet it would be pretty tame for somebody like you. I think you would have no problem at all with this. All right. Yeah. I'm not worried about being too scared by it. I just wasn't sure how it felt for you. Cause I know you tend to like run the opposite direction whenever you see scary games, but this sounds good. And hopefully I actually, I have the two game game pass from Gamefly, and I sent shadow of the Tomb Raider back and I have literally had nothing on my queue except this game. So fingers crossed, it'll ship maybe tomorrow and I can maybe, I mean, best case scenario, it'll ship tomorrow and maybe I can be playing it by the end of the week, but we'll, we'll see. And I will bring my impressions back around whenever I get to play it, whenever it comes. That would be excellent. And I'll just say one final thing before I move on. I do definitely have an aversion to scary games, but I will say in this game's favor, 
Um, every time I stop playing it, I actually look forward to coming back to it, and I really want to keep going, which is not something that I can say about most games in general, and certainly not about <laughs> scary games. So even though there are some scary elements, I really want to come back to it. I really want to finish it. So it has kept my attention, and I do think it's pretty good. So uh, definitely a thumbs up for me, and if you get it, let's for sure talk about it again. So Call of Cthulhu coming out on October 30th from Cyanide uh, and published by Focus Home Entertainment. I'm currently playing it on PS4. It'll be out for basically everything. Um, we're getting to the tail end of the show here. Corey, you've got one more game. Let's talk about Stay, which is developed uh, by App Normals, A-P-P Normals, published <laughs> by P-Cube. Now, I've heard of this before. Um, we reviewed it at Game Critics. It got a very favorable review, and I think there are some actual, like, real-time elements in it in the sense of like like you as a person in the real world have to like manage your time uh like the clock keeps on going even if you're not playing something like that so tell us about stay and tell us uh about that aspect of it so i had seen stay on i think it was in the psn or the switch store at a certain point and i think it was on sale and i had read about it and thought it looked interesting and then lo and behold we got a review code for it um, because it had launched on earlier on PS4 and I think uh, Xbox One before it launched on Switch. And like you said, somebody covered one of them for Game Critics before. Um, but as publishers tend to do, if a game launches on a different platform later down the road, they will tend to provide a new uh, code for it to have it reviewed specifically for that platform. And I had had my eye on it, so I took the code for it. And I have to apologize to the publisher a little bit for this game because I took the code and then didn't even start playing it until like a month after I took the code. So... Um, my bad on that. Usually I try to be pretty prompt about playing games that I have codes for, but um, I was just not, I was doing other things. I guess I don't really have an excuse for it, but I finally started it like probably I started it like last week or a couple weeks ago and have been playing it a little bit. Um, Stay is a, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to almost call this like a text adventure. So the setup of the game is that you play as someone who is on the computer and and so the the screen kind of looks like a computer screen, like a chat window almost. And there's somebody who is trapped in a basement or some kind of like house somewhere. They have access to a computer at the house and they find you in a chat room and they're basically chatting with you, trying to describe the, the place that they're in, sort of how they got there. Um, they don't really know how to get out. And so you're kind of like the link to this person's to the outside world for this person. And the setup for this makes it sound like it's like a Saw movie adaptation or something. And it's nothing like that. I mean, obviously it's a little creepy because the guy is like, you know, locked in some kind of house. Um, he doesn't really have any like tools or anything around him. He just has the computer, but there's not like monsters chasing him and there's not like torture traps everywhere. It's just kind of like him trapped and you're trying to figure out like what, what's going on here. So hang on a second. Let me make sure I get this square in my head. So you're, you're okay. So the premise of the game is some guy is trapped in a house. His only communication is through the internet on a computer. You are some other person on a computer talking to this guy. So can you see this guy, or does it just look like a an instant message window, or what does it look like? You the the interface for the game looks like an instant message window, but there is a little window in the top left corner that shows a picture of him. Like it's kind of I don't know if it's meant to be like a webcam picture or something. And some of the game has cutscenes that show him moving around in the house. And then most of the gameplay is just the chat window itself. And whenever you say certain things to him, 
there's like a few, it's kind of like the Sims almost because there's like four different bubbles next to his or underneath his face in the chat window that are, that stand for different things, you know, different emotions that he feels. And I think the things that you say to him or the circumstances that are in the environment can like make those fluctuate. Um, but that hasn't really been a big gameplay factor yet that I know of. Um, so yeah, most of the game's like a chat window, but you see him all the time in the chat window. Not He's not really doing anything. He's just kind of sitting there or like looking around. And the game is very cartoony too. This isn't like a, you know, one for one realism type game. Like it's very stylized. Uh, but the cutscenes are him like in the environment moving around and stuff like that. Okay, cool. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I think I have the proper context in my mind. So please continue. Well, so most of the game is just you. He'll, like, say a bunch of things to you in this chat window and kind of describe the situation he's in. And you basically have, like, a binary choice of saying one of two things back to him to sort of push him in certain directions on what to do. And I I don't really know what I expected this game to be whenever I started it. But to be completely honest, I was hoping that there would be, like, a little bit more gameplay involved rather than just, like, choosing from different text options. Because... There are certain things that happen where he will move around the environment. Like, you can urge him to say, like, like oh, I think you should get up and look around, or I think you should do this. And then there will be a little cutscene that plays out, and it'll be him, like, walking to the edge of the room, and maybe there's a door there that he didn't see, or maybe there's, like, a poster covering a door, and you can tell him, like, well, maybe you should see if there's something behind the poster. And then he goes over there and, like, tears it down, and it shows him tear it down. It shows him find, like, a door that's behind it or whatever. And I think the game would be better off if it let you play those segments as the guy who's trapped in the basement rather than just watch him do it. Um, Because it gets, I mean, it it gets kind of boring, to be honest. Like, I don't want to be too harsh on this game because it's probably, like, well-made and all that stuff for people who like these kind of text adventure things. But I was hoping for a little bit more, like, interaction with the game. And there's a handful of times where you yourself will solve, like, if he encounter some kind of like puzzle in the environment you solve it instead of him like for example there's one segment where he finds these like broken plates in the environment and you choose which one you want to try to piece back together and like i pieced it back together through this little sort of puzzle mini game rather than just watching him do it so like that's about as far as the interaction goes it's either you selecting text that you want to say to him are you solving these little puzzles for him in the environment? And then the rest of it is just kind of you watching him walk around or watching him look at things or what have you. But like 90% of the game is just like the text chat window. And I mean, like I said, I don't really know what I was expecting, but I was hoping that it wouldn't be mostly that because I'm not really a text adventure kind of guy. So, but I mean, that's basically it. So, but the real-time element, okay, so let's get down on the real-time element thing. So this game has sort of like a... I don't know if it's like an Animal Crossing or like a Tamagotchi-like feature where it keeps track of, in real time, how much time you're spending playing the game with the person or with, with the guy. His name's Quinn in the game, the guy, or how much time you're away. And I haven't really figured out what, like, the, what, like, what this thing is all about because I was playing it, the first time I played it, I was playing it for about an hour or maybe like 30 minutes or something. And then I stopped playing it. And I think I took a nap for a few hours and then I came back to it. And like the game sort of has like the running clock for like the real time. And then the running clock for how much time you spent with him. So for spending time with him, it was like, you know, 45 minutes or something. But then the real time clock, it was like four hours or something like that. And so whenever I go back to the chat window, he, he opens the conversation by saying something like, oh, like I thought you left or I thought you gave up on me or, oh, I'm glad to see you're back or something like that. 
So I don't know if you leave the game for like a week and come back if he's like dead or like, I don't really know. I haven't experimented with it enough to really know like how that plays into the game. Um, Cause right now it seems kind of like a cosmetic thing, but I know that it's gotta be more than that because they wouldn't push this real time mechanic if it weren't like a major player in the game. But my problem, so I have a few problems with this other than it just being a text adventure. Um, the game is way longer than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought it was going to be like a one hour text adventure thing and it was going to be over with, but I've played it for probably about two to three hours. And I think I'm only about maybe like 30 or 40% of the way through. And it's one of those games where it has a lot of different endings and a lot of different things that can happen. So I thought that I was like all well and good kind of guiding this guy toward what I thought was the right thing to do and ended up with kind of a tragic ending for him. I'm not going to spoil it, but things didn't really go the way I had planned them to go. And then after that happened, the game gives you the option to replay the last chapter you did, or I think you can replay any of the chapters. So I went back and I started replaying the last chapter and it started from the beginning of that chapter. So I was just kind of going through the motions to get him back to where he was whenever I made the wrong decision for him. And I ended up making a different decision, which of course led to a new chapter because that was the way I was supposed to go. So it's kind of like a choose your own adventure sort of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. But the the big problem, and this Uh-oh. has happened oh, with no. this has happened oh, no. with other games, and I hate when this happens. It's partly my fault, partly the game's fault. Um, I got to a puzzle that I can't solve, and I feel like a freaking idiot every time I come on the show and I have to say this, because it ha- it's been happening a lot lately, but I got to this weird puzzle where, like, out of nowhere, the game springs this, like, brick wall puzzle thing on you, where it's kind of like a, I think it's like a minesweeper kind of thing, where you're looking at this brick wall, and you can, like, remove bricks on the wall. There's probably, like, a hundred bricks, and you can remove most of them. And every time you remove one, there's, like, a, a number, like, one to three on the space where you removed it. So I think you're supposed to, like, remove them in a way where it's, like, a minesweeper thing where only, like, certain amount of, like, if you remove one with, like, the one digit on it, there's only, like, one real brick that's supposed to be touching it or something. Like, I don't fucking know what's going on, and the game doesn't explain to you, like, here's how you solve the puzzle. I mean, with, like, the broken plate thing, it was pretty fucking obvious. Like, here's a broken plate. You have to reassemble the pieces. Like, no real tutorial needed. But with this game, I don't really know what I'm doing. And the other big problem with this is, of course, I jumped onto uh, the internet to see if I could figure out how to solve this. I'm having flashbacks to The Way, which I played recently and also gave up on because of a puzzle. And much like The Way... I get on the internet to try to look up the puzzle for this, and apparently the puzzle, the brick puzzle for the PC version is different than the brick puzzle for the Switch version because the bricks are in, yeah, they're in a slightly different arrangement. And I don't know if it's different per console or different per gameplay, if it's like a randomly generated puzzle. I couldn't really figure that out. Um, So, like, I tried to look at the... on the steam guides for it to see if anybody had written some puzzle like a discussion board thing about it and i found it but the puzzle that they have the discussion board for on steam is slightly different than the puzzle from the switch version and i don't know what to do like i can't figure it out so i basically haven't played it for like a week because i got to the puzzle and i was just frustrated and I didn't really understand like how this puzzle was really fitting into the game i mean i don't know if he solves the puzzle and then like a hole breaks in the wall where he can escape and it moves to the next chapter. Like, I'm not really sure what it's leading to, but I mean, it's one of those cases where 
like I really don't want to be too hard on this game because I think it's just kind of the game is ultimately just not really a fit for me. But I like I thought the game was going to kind of be one thing, and then I started playing it, and it ended up being this sort of like choose your own adventure text adventure kind of thing. So I mean, most of the game is you just reading this guy's chat window and then selecting one of two things to say back to him, and whenever you say the things back, it's pretty. I mean, I I don't mind the text, but it's pretty obvious. Like one of the texts is always like sort of asking him about himself and about how he's feeling and about if he's okay. And then the other option is usually more logistical and it's more like practical and like, look around the room, what's going on? Like, let's try to get forward on this. And I tend to fall into the like practical logistical camp of the texts back to him where, and, and maybe this is rude of me, but like, I don't really like care how he's feeling i'm just trying to get him out of there like trying to get him out of the room because yeah. like if he's trapped in a fucking basement i don't want to be his like therapist and sit here and have a bunch of discussions about like his psyche and how he's feeling i'm trying to get him the fuck out of there so like and the game's not penalizing you for that which is good like it's not being like oh you're a bad guy because you you know you're not discussing his feelings enough which i appreciate but i feel like that sort of practical measure might come back to like bite me in the ass later in the game i'm not really sure if it will um but it's just like I got to a puzzle that I don't really know what to do with on top of a game that I'm already a little bit bored with because I wasn't expecting it to just be kind of like a strictly like chat window type of thing. So that like decreases the amount of time I want to spend trying to figure out what's going on in this puzzle. Because if it were a game that I like the way for the longest time, I was like, okay, the puzzles are kind of annoying, but I like the art style. I like what's going on here. I like the interactivity. So I just looked up some puzzle guides and kind of pressed on to play it until I got to the one puzzle I couldn't finish. But with this game, I'm not really enjoying it on the base level enough to, like, really want to push through these puzzles. And I feel like a jerk because, like, I took it as a PR code. This isn't a game that I that I bought myself. And so, like, I obviously owe the developer and the publisher some kind of written statement on this. Um, but I just, like, don't... I, I, can't, like, I can't solve this puzzle, and I feel like an idiot. And it, this just happened, too, with... Um, the Spectrum Retreat, like, I played that for review, and I had to write it, this is not a review on Game Critics for it, because I just couldn't be bothered to do all these puzzle rooms over and over and over again, and it got too too overwhelming for me, and I'm sort of falling into the same category with this game, and it makes me a little bit sad. That seems to be going around lately. I don't know if we're just getting stupider, or if people who are making puzzles are getting out of control with it because <laughs> I've had the same issue. I mean, I think I mentioned a while ago when we talked about the council, which I love, I think is a great game, but the puzzles are so far beyond my abilities. I have to look them up every time because I just can't figure them out. And the same thing happened with call of Cthulhu. I didn't mention this, but there was, uh, I think two puzzles in particular that I was, I was like, I, I got nothing. I got nothing on this. I don't know what to do. And luckily, I know a couple people who are also reviewing it, and they both are clearly way better at puzzle solving than I am, <laughs> because they both were like, oh, yeah, it's bop, bop, bop. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. And I just, you know, once they explained to me how the puzzle's working, I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense now that you've explained it to me. But prior to that, I'm like, I got nothing. So I'm kind of falling in the same bucket as you are. I don't know. It's, it's in the water we're drinking. Maybe us talking <laughs> to each other is making each other more stupid. We're spreading the can't solve a puzzle virus back and forth uh, to each other on this podcast, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel you on that. And being, see, I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day because somebody had asked me how much experience I had had with PC style adventure games, like the point and click, you know, back in the day, like Sierra kind of games. And I was like, well, basically none because our family didn't own a computer until like way later. So I didn't really grow up on those. They're not something that I'm super familiar with. I don't really enjoy them. 
because I don't often understand the puzzles and I'm not used to how they work. I don't have a lifetime of, you know, cat hair mustache puzzles to, to train <laughs> me on how to solve these. And I think that's really something that's coming up lately where I'm finding that a lot of these puzzles I'm coming into, maybe it's just bad luck and maybe it's kind of the same thing for you. But if you just hit a puzzle that requires you to think a certain way or to have a certain kind of logic or it makes sense if you've played other puzzles that are like that, then that's fine. But for me, it's like I'd much rather play something where it's a challenge in terms of like, oh, you got to get the timing right or, oh, it's a physical thing that you need to figure out or, oh, you got to search a little bit more. If you have something to work towards, you can do that and, you know, maybe you can brute force it, maybe you get lucky, maybe it'll click for you. But if you have a puzzle like this, like the kind of like adventure style, PC style, CRSL puzzles, or the kind of puzzles that um, we're finding, you and I are finding lately, where if you don't understand it, or if you don't understand like what the developer wants, you're just stuck. Like there's nothing you can do. Like you can't force your way through it. You can't work on it. You can't chip away at it. It's like either you get it or you don't. And those kind of things I find to be pretty frustrating. Maybe it's just the way my brain is wired. Maybe like I said, because I don't have the background, don't have the experience, but I'd much rather, I'd much rather play something where it's just about me practicing it, or I just have to like maybe try a different technique and I've got some options, try a different gun or maybe try, you know, a different approach rather than being at a complete brick wall where I just can't progress if I don't understand it. I mean, it feels those kinds of challenges feel different to me. And I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe we're having some bad luck lately, but I hear you, man. When you hit a puzzle like that and you can't figure it out, it's just fucking frustrating. And it just, it stops all the momentum, kills a lot of the goodwill you have for any game that's built up before that. So I hear you, man. I hear you. I sympathize. Yeah, I, I mean, I do appreciate puzzles in a different way, like the way you're talking about. Because when I think of a good, like, I mean, not even like a puzzle experience, but when I think of like the kinds of puzzles, if you will, that my brain is wired for, I think of a game like Super Hot, where it looks like a shooter on the surface, but really it's a game about timing and cunning and strategy, or even something like Hitman or Deus Ex, where you're in a room, there's probably 10 different ways to get through it. And you have to think about like logistically the best route or the best way, or like kind of connecting the dots from A to Z on who you can take out or who you can avoid or who you can stealth pass or whatever. But when I'm playing a text adventure game, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's this minesweeper brick wall puzzle that just comes out of nowhere. I'm just like, what? Like I, I'm just not like, I, I just feel like I'm not wired for that. And I just don't understand it. And it, it, the game would be so much better off if it had like a hint system or something and said like, Hey, this is how you solve this. Or do you need us to do the first step or two for you? Cause that would probably be helpful. And also when I run into this problem with these kind of indie games where so few people play them that there aren't a bunch of walkthroughs online. Like, I mean, if you're playing, say God of War, for example, and you get stopped on something, you, you can YouTube it and find 600 YouTube videos to tell you how to solve the puzzle or 600 written guides online. But with indie games like these, maybe one person has put something online and maybe it'll tell you what to do or maybe it won't or maybe it's for the PC puzzle, which is completely different than the console puzzle. So it's just not, this is not a good space to be in. Yeah, that's really the trick. I mean, I think good puzzle design is, is a lot harder than it seems. Um, you know, are your people who are playing the game following your train of thought? Developers, I'm sure, assume that they are, but maybe they're not. There's all sorts of brains out there. We're, we're all wired for different things. I'm awesome at certain things, and I am hopeless at other things. And if my hopeless uh, category lines up with something that you're great at, that's going to be a bad fit. And, you know, designing a good hint system, I think, is always a good idea. And like, like you said also, like if you're an indie developer... And your game is not huge. I think you really, 
I mean, I'm not going to say you owe it or that you have an obligation, but if you're smart, you will put something up on your website that says, if you have trouble, click here. Because there's been a number of games over the years where they know they're small. They're like a single-person studio, two-person studio. They don't have a huge reach. Not a lot of people are playing the game. But they know that if anybody's out there playing the game, they get stuck. You can go to their website, and there's like a walkthrough of everything. That's happened a few times. I am so grateful when people do that because there's, you know, there's nothing on GameFAQs. There's nothing on YouTube. There's no wiki for it. Um, you can't Google anything. I mean, maybe you'll get lucky, and somebody on Reddit will have the same question, and you'll find that through a Google search, but maybe not. So if you're a small developer and you are having puzzles in your game or something like that, like, please, please, please just do everybody a favor. Like, and you get so much goodwill from this. Just post a walkthrough on your own side of your own game. You know the answers. It'll take you five minutes to write it up. All the sticking points, or at least have a contact email where you're saying if you're stuck and you need help, please let me know. Because nothing kills goodwill faster than being stuck and not being able to progress. And if there's no resources online, that can be a really bitter situation. So, like, indie developers, do yourself a favor Make it easy for people because not all brains are wired the same way. So anyway, I'm um, sorry to hear about that. I have not bought this. I was very curious about it and I would like to try it at some point, but um, it's probably not something I'm going to get to soon. I might grab it on sale or something, but overall it sounds like maybe it's not your bag. Would you recommend it? You think, or not really? I think I would recommend it under the like sort of like the, I don't know, just, just know what you're getting yourself into. So if, if what I've said sounds great and you like this sort of, reading through text, responding to text under a sort of a creepy captive circumstance of the game. And if your brain is wired to enjoy puzzles like this, um, like by all means, especially because whoever did the review for the other version of it on game critics really liked it and it was favorable. So, I mean, I think there is a good audience for this game. I just thought that the game was going to be one thing and then it ended up not being exactly what I thought it was going to be. So that's partly on me. Um, so, I mean, I, I recommend it, but just know what it is before you start to play it. Makes sense. Makes sense. And that was Stay, developed by App Normals and published by P-Cube. I'm going to take a sip of water here. Final game of the show uh, will be for me. It's called Black Bird. Not Blackbird, one word. It's Black Bird. Very important to <laughs> separate those words. Coming to us from Onion Games, Japanese developer who has had a great deal of success on iOS, and they are bringing their game to the Switch. I think they may have had one other game on the Switch before. Uh, not exactly 100% sure, but I think they have. But anyway, Blackbird is a shooter. It's like a side-to-side, -side, like, shoot-em-up, kind of like, um, you know, you're like, like Gradius or Life Force or um, R-Type. You know, you know the kind of shooter I'm talking about, Corey? Like, does, like, Contra fit into that? Uh, Contra, if you were a spaceship, it's like a spaceship orient, but same kind of a thing, uh, like, you okay. know, so like one of those, like a side scrolling spaceship kind of a shoot 'em up shooter. Um, but you're not, a, you're not a, a ship in this game. It's, you are a literal black bird, but it's <laughs> again, again, I need to really emphasize this. You're not a black bird because that's just a bird. that's black. You are, you are a bird that is black because it is like horrible and scary and weird and gross. Like you like. The name is very fitting. It is like like the blackest bird because it is just evil and weird looking. Uh, so what you do is you... It, the game starts out with a little cutscene of a little girl. She looks like she's, I don't know, like f six or something. Stumbling along this street. She falls down and no one on the street helps her. No one checks on her. No one picks her up. This rich guy comes along, pokes her with a cane and just like, you know, turns up his nose and moves on. And apparently she dies on the street. Um... So it starts off with like kind of a downer. 
uh, she morphs as she as she dies. She morphs into like an egg, and from the egg emerges the blackbird, and the blackbird comes up and it just starts like wrecking shit all over the place. So it's kind of like I mean I don't know exactly. I don't I, I gotta admit I don't understand all the nuances of the story yet, but it seems to be kind of like a kind of like a revenge tale, kind of like a something like that where this bird is is you know coming back after this girl dies and like just destroying everything that's around it. Um, so it's kind of like in sepia tones, like kind of like, a you know, I don't know, like reddish or grayish kind of a thing kind of looks like an old school kind of a vibe to it. The blackbird itself is this weird kind of like pulsating spiky, like mass of blackness with a beak on one end and an eye right in the middle of it. Doesn't look exactly like a bird, like a regular bird, like kind of like a spiritual monster bird sort of a thing. And you fly back and forth. Each world is a horizontal 2D level where it's, it's, for example, if you fly all the way to the right, you will eventually emerge on the left because it just like wraps around. You know what I mean? Like you're just like going from back and forth, back and forth. Um, and so you just fly around and in each level, there are like these eight little, I don't know, like guard towers or something. And you have to like shoot all eight of these towers to move on to the next level. As you're doing that, of course, little enemies pop in, they shoot at you. There's all sorts of little guys you're, you're shooting. So you're basically like a spaceship that's shaped like a bird flying around these 2D wraparound levels. It also is very much like, um, what's the name of that game that came out for Rezogun? Rezogun. Did you play Rezogun on PS4? I did not. Okay, so it's very much like Rezogun. It's very much like Defender from back then. You played Defender, maybe? Nope. <laughs> okay. Going old school here on so video games, folks. But it's, it's like a 2D game like that. So you, you fly back around. And the thing that really stands out about this game, I mean, the art style, number one, is very arresting. It's a very interesting looking game. It doesn't look like anything else out there. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, just the tone of it. Like, you know, this little girl dying, the bird hatching, kind of like, you know, destroying the town and stuff is pretty cool. Very interesting. But the way that this game is designed, it's like it's like a masterpiece. Like these guys really understand what they're doing. Every choice they've made in this game is very deliberate and measured and wise. So you start the game and enemies are kind of flying around. It's not too fast. It's not too overwhelming. You really get a sense of what's going on. There's no tutorials, but you figure it out pretty quickly where there are like a limited number of power-ups in each level. And when you get the power-up, you got to choose. You want to increase your flying speed you can give yourself a bomb like the kind of bomb that clears the screen if you get overwhelmed or you can give yourself one more piece of life i think you start off with five and i think you can have like up to eight as a maximum uh and so you have to like you know judge for yourself what what, what kind of game am i playing do i need more bombs do i need more speed do i want to have more life like you decide for yourself which is great everything is very measured and, and cautious you can play and it, you don't you don't get overwhelmed you don't feel bowled over at first and as you learn the game you get to the boss after you defeat all of the towers in one level the boss has very distinct patterns so it's but it's very much about memorization and learning like what moves are coming next and how to dodge and you go through each game there i think there's four levels all together and if you know what you're doing you can beat the game in like 10 minutes but it takes a little while to get you know <laughs> to get up there i mean you got to practice you got to know learn the systems a little bit as you um, shoot guys, they drop these little green gems and those will level you up. And the more level, the more green gems you get, the stronger you become. And the, and the bird morphs, like the bird will grow and get meaner looking and have more abilities. Like in the beginning, he just shoots like a little pea shooter. But then once you level up once, he gets like a bigger beak and like some more feathers. And then he shoots like a, like a slightly larger bullet. And then you level up some more, he gets like some fins and he gets like an even weirder beak. And then he shoots like 
like wavy shots that also have like a bomb coming out the side. And so like you like level up as you go. So it also becomes a balancing act of how long do I stay in a level and grind for these gems? Because you can stay in the first level and grind as long as you want. You can level up a lot. But after a while, this little monster will show up and it'll like start chasing you and you can fend it off for a little while. But they kind of don't want you to like max out in the first level and then just like cruise through the whole game. So it's kind of a balancing level of like balancing act of like, how long can I be in level one and how far can I advance before this monster shows up? Because then I got to leave. So it's, you know, it's very well measured. They want you to level up a little bit, but not too much. And, you know, play fast, but not too fast. So that's pretty good. As you uh, progress through the game, there are these very, very brief cutscenes between each level, which kind of fill in the story of the little girl a little bit more. And, and then you get to the end and fight the boss. Uh, once you finish the boss, which took me a little bit of a, a little bit of a try because it's like a three stage boss battle. And the last stage is really kind of a killer. Um, so that was really tough. Uh, once you get past that, you go to like the actual, like quote unquote, like true mode where now that you know how to play the game and now that you've had your training wheels on the whole time, although you didn't know it, uh, they take the training wheels off and then everything is like twice as fast, twice as deadly, twice the number of bullets on screen. And all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I'm like in the shit now and I'm flying around and it's getting really fast and crazy and hectic, uh, like super intense. So I really admire how they walked you through the entire game with the training wheels on slow, controlled, very manageable. I mean, you might have trouble at some of the bosses, but like, you know, you can practice them. There's even a practice mode, so you can go back and try the levels that are giving you trouble if you want to just practice on those, which I think is great. And once you've played the entire game, now they're like, okay, now that you've seen everything from start to finish, now play the real version and get back in and do it the hard way. And it's it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense. So I really, I love everything about this game. Like, I think that the way that they introduce the mechanics is really super solid. It controls really great. Um, the pacing is really great. The style is really great. Um, you know, one other thing that is really masterful, one thing that is really like a, a stroke of fucking genius that really you have to be a shoot 'em up fan to realize is your hitbox, which is like the area of your character, which can be damaged, uh, is very small. Like the blackbird is like this black spiky thing with a beak, but the only part of it that can get damaged is the eyeball. So if you take a shot in the feathers or a shot in the beak, it doesn't matter. It does not hurt you. But if you get shot in the eyeball, that's what hurts you. And the way that they have drawn the character is that the eyeball is absolutely clear. Like, you know exactly where it is. You know exactly how big it is. There's no doubt at all about where the eyeball is. And so you're able to manage how many shots you're taking, how to avoid. You can avoid, you can ignore your whole body, ignore your beak, ignore your feathers, ignore all that stuff. If you pay attention to the eye and you maneuver the eye in and around bullets, in and around bad guys and dodge, uh, it's an extremely generous hitbox in that you can dodge a lot of shots that ordinarily would have hit you so they really i mean the way that they've designed that i know this kind of sounds like inside baseball a little bit but like comparing that to other shooters it's really smart it's really elegant it's really on point a great decision because it really puts the power in the player's hands to manage the dodging and and how much damage they're taking i really admire what they've done with this game i mean everything about it is smart is right on point is very well done um, I basically have like no criticisms of it. I think it's like basically like a perfect shooter. So if you like shooters, uh, shoot them up, you know, like Gradius, R-Type, Rezogun style games. I, I like, there's nothing wrong with this game. Like it's fantastic. I think it's <laughs> great. I think it's really great. I love everything about it. Um, I've been playing a little bit every night. I haven't beaten the true mode yet because it's fucking hard, but I think it's justifiably hard. And if you don't want that kind of challenge, they do give you credits beforehand. So if you feel like you've got, 
your experience and you're good and you want to bail, you can bail with a clear conscience and that's fine as well. So uh, this is just like a masterpiece. Like it's a real small bite-sized masterpiece on the Switch. I think it's brilliant. Good stuff. Nothing bad to say about it at all. I definitely recommend it to anybody who likes that kind of shoot 'em up action. Corey, thoughts? Uh, I'm glad you like it. I would probably never play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not big on you're not big on shoot 'em ups at all, are you? Are you have you played any? Are you like dipped your toe into that at all? Uh, I don't know if I have. I mean, surely I've played something similar to this at some point in my life, but it's not really the kind of thing that I go in for. Um, I don't know. I think it's maybe just too like arcadey for me, and it probably would be too difficult for me. So I'm. I don't know. It doesn't really sound. Like, I'm glad it's good, but it doesn't really sound like my jam. It is definitely difficult. It is definitely arcadey. It is definitely for people who like that particular genre of game. Um, I wouldn't say that it is a bullet hell game, but I think that after a certain point, it kind of does have some bullet hell elements. Um, so that is also something that's definitely like a, a very specific niche. So it's not mm. for everybody. Would you say it um, has bullet hell elements? Bullet. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. I see, yes, yes, I would. I would say that it does have... <laughs> Bullet elements. Boy, we got we coined a I'm couple sorry. things on this show so far. No, I'm sorry good. that I said that. <laughs> I'm keeping a list. Bullet elements. What was the other thing we uh? What was VR, the VR archive. VR archive. Oh, I gotta write this down. I gotta write this down. Uh, okay, so that is Blackbird. If that sounds good to you, it is superb. I mean, it's not for everybody. If you like that kind of game, it is like the best kind of that kind of game. But if you don't like that kind of game, maybe not. But there you go. Love it. Love it. Love it. And I think. This has been a monster episode of the show. I'm tired. You must be tired too, Corey. How are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm okay. You're okay. Okay. Well, this has been. I'm just tired because I'm old, I guess. We. This has been a monster, monster episode. We've covered a lot. There's been a lot of banter. Um, I think unless you've got anything further, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, I am ready to wrap it up whenever you are. All right. Let's bring this thing home. I'm gonna get back in my cryogenic chamber, revitalize myself for next <laughs> week's episode. Uh, this is the end of the show, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate appreciate you having uh, having you along. Uh, thanks for listening. And please remember that if you like this show, or I guess even if you don't like it, uh, either way, but you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Please hit us up, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show is posted there. We are also on Twitter collectively at SoVideoGames, but you can reach us individually, which I think is a better way to go. My handle is my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. That's all A's, no O's. Corey, where can people find you? Uh, They can find me also on Twitter, also on Instagram, also on Twitch. I keep saying that, but I haven't streamed in like two weeks. So, But if you feel inclined to follow my page to get alerts if I ever decide to stream... um, I'm also on Twitch, but my handle is also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And that's the same on Twitch as well? Same for all three? Yeah, that's pretty much... I don't know if I'm lucky to just be like the only Corey Motley in the world. I know I'm not, but I think I'm a rare breed. So I tend to like be able to get those handles pretty regularly whenever I join networks. So thanks, mom and dad. Uh, they were thinking ahead. Smart people. Smart people. <laughs> All right, that brings us to the absolute end of another show of video games. Thanks for joining us. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, if you want even more, if you want even more Brad and Corey, don't know why you would, but if you want more, <laughs> stick around <laughs> for the banter, which we'll play after this closing music. Uh, if not, that's fine. We will see you next week. And this is Bye from Brad. 
and bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. So I sent you the updated script with all of the banter, but I don't have your banter. Do you got something juicy? You want to go first? Uh, I don't know if it's particularly juicy, but um, <clears throat> this weekend, uh, f- actually, I don't, I don't really think he's a friend of the show, but friend in real life of both of us, uh, Chris Leggett and his wife, Jen. I thought you were going to say an enemy of the show. No. I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Our arch nemesis of the show, Chris, was in town. Um, oh yeah. Did you see him? Yeah. So they got in on, I think they were here from Wednesday to Saturday. I think they, they took a red eye here. So I think they got here like really, really early on Wednesday morning and basically just like slept for most of the day on Wednesday and I saw them Thursday night um they were in kind of like the downtown area so I went after work and hung out with them on Thursday night we just went to uh, they were like at a bar and they were eating and had a couple drinks so I met them there and then we went to kind of like deeper into the French Quarter to go see some other stuff and we were just kind of hanging out it was uh, Chris and Jen and her brother um, I think she has multiple brothers. I'm not positive about that, but one one of her brothers was there. And and then they went to go on one of the ghost tours downtown on uh, Thursday night. So I just left and went home. And on Friday, um, I went out with them again. And Friday was so weird. It was, uh, it was like magical, but it was also weird because they went, uh, like if you go really far south of town, you kind of get into like more of like the bayou area. And there's a big uh, park down there. And it's where they do, like, the swamp tours and stuff and, like, boat tours and there's, like, walking trails and stuff. So they went on a swamp tour. And it's basically, like, the fan boats in Resident Evil 5, but they seat, like, multiple people, not just two people. And and it's like that, but they I, I've never been on one, but they were telling me about it, about how they kind of take you through kind of, like, swamp lands and stuff down there and kind of tell you about, you know, I don't know, the the geography and about the history and everything and they both seem to enjoy it and chris got to hold a little tiny crocodile after yeah and he said he was like terrified and the guy like basically just like handed it to him um and so he like held it for a minute and they took some pictures of it and so they got back in town and I met them for dinner at about it was the weird thing about the evening was that it started so early, but it like ramped up really quickly. So like we went to dinner at about four or five. So it was like a pretty early dinner because um, they hadn't really eaten all day because they got up and had to like go all the way south of town and do the boat tour. And then they took like a cab because where the shitty, the funny thing and the shitty thing for them is that where the boat tours and stuff happen it's like so far south that there's like not really good cell phone reception down there so they had to like call a cab i think from the office that they were in or like the national park office and then they took a cab into town and when i say town i don't mean like the french quarter of new orleans i mean like probably like 45 minutes south of town uh below the mississippi river so they took a cab into town and then got an Uber from south of town and took that to the French Quarter. So it was just like 
a big mess because they didn't have a rental car or anything. They just kind of came and like lifted and Ubered around the whole time. Um, but it was just like a shitty situation. Like Chris called me from the national park office and he was like, uh, do you know what part of town, like X, uh, city, like he, cause there's like the, the counties or the parishes everywhere. And he was like, do you know what part of town this is in? Cause this is where we're taking a taxi to. And we're hoping that we can get a Lyft or an Uber from there. And I was like, yeah, I think you should be safe. And so they had made it back. We got really early dinner and then we went to a few places. We went to a brewery that was close to, um, the restaurant that we ate at, which is a new brewery that Patrick and I have discovered pretty recently called Courtyard Brewing. And, uh, so we went there and like got a couple drinks, a couple beers. And then we went to an, another place called the bakery bar. And it's like, it's like, it's kind of like half, like kind of fancy cocktails and beer. And then the other half is like, kind of like savory snacks, but they also have like kind of like uh, like good like desserts, I guess, which is why it's called the bakery bar. They have like cakes and they have like a whole menu of desserts and stuff. So it's kind of cool because even if like you're not interested in drinking, you can go and get like good cake or, you know, like cool. They had this like Thai chili popcorn that Chris ordered that was pretty interesting. Um, so it's like little things. And then like we got a couple drinks there and I like I got like pretty fucking drunk, like to be like completely honest, like probably the most drunk I've been in months maybe because like I had two really strong beers and then I had two drinks at the bakery bar and then we left the bakery bar and they didn't, and it, the weird, the bizarre thing is because the night started so early, this was at like eight or 9 PM and I was like really drunk. And usually, you know, if you are drunk, it's like one o'clock in the morning or two or three or whatever, especially in new Orleans. Cause everything it's so late night here, but it was like, I felt like a proper old man. Cause I was like drunk at like 8 PM and they went, uh, cause they were flying out the next morning. So they weren't going to have any time to do anything on Saturday morning. So Jen wanted to go to like some souvenir shops and stuff to kind of like wrap up the experience. And so they went downtown, um, to go kind of do a little bit of like souvenir shopping. And I didn't really want to go downtown. So that's kind of where we split ways. And then I was faced with a decision of like, well, it's like 8 p.m. and I'm already like in kind of a cool part of town. Like, do I want to just take a lift home and I don't know, go to bed at like 9 p.m. while drunk on a Friday night? Or <laughs> it was so weird. Woo, that's I, living. Yeah, that's living, I know. Brother. It was just like I felt like I felt like awesome and like a total loser at the same time. But <laughs> but there was like another bar that's close by called Barrel Proof that I had been wanting to try for a long time because it looks like more of like a cool cocktail bar. So I was like, you know what? Like it's Friday night. I don't have anything to do. I'm just gonna go to Barrel Proof by myself because I don't really have any qualms with like going out by myself or like seeing movies by myself or anything like that. So I just went to Barrel Proof and I got a couple of drinks. I just sat at the bar and got a couple of drinks there and um, and proceeded to get even more drunk, obviously, because I was drinking two more things. And then I took I ended up taking a lift home at about I don't know, maybe like 10 or 11 PM. And, you know, luckily I made it home safely and I got home and I ate cause I was like starving to death at that point and went to bed. And then yesterday I got up and uh, took a lift back downtown to pick my car up. So, and luckily my car was in okay shape. Cause every time, like, I don't, I don't leave my car in like downtown areas overnight very often. I've probably only done it like two times since I moved here, but it's one of those things that makes me incredibly nervous because Sometimes I'm sure Seattle is very similar where sometimes like parking, like parallel parking in areas, like every time I parallel park somewhere, I'm like, all right, I don't see any signs up, but 
who knows, maybe I'll get towed anyway, or maybe I'll have a boot anyway, you know, because sometimes things are not quite clear. Like one time Patrick got towed because he had parallel parts like too close to the corner of a street, even though he wasn't like on the corner of the street and there weren't really any like signs or any lines painted anywhere that said, you know, you have to park here or you have to park before this line or whatever. So he thought he was fine. And then his car ended up getting towed that day. So I just get really nervous about that stuff or at, or like, Oh, maybe someone will break into my car because it's been there overnight. But luckily nothing happened to my car. I was able to retrieve it. Um, and then I went to a new skate park yesterday. There's a new skate park that opened on the northeast side of town, which is, like, pretty far away from where I live. It's probably about a 45-minute drive from where I live. But because I was already about halfway there from picking up my car, I was like, well, I'll just go up there and kind of see what it's about. And it was a beautiful Saturday. So I went up there and shot uh, for a few hours and... Then came home last night and pretty much edited photos. I Skyped with one of my friends from Salt Lake for a while last night who I hadn't talked to in a long time. And I don't know. That's basically my weekend in an extended nutshell. Well, first off, I want to salute you for being responsible um, and taking a lift home and leaving your car parked. I know that there's like some anxiety about that. I mean, I don't. I almost never leave my car parked anywhere that's not at home. So I definitely understand the feeling of like, oh, I hope my car's there in the morning or hope it's not wrecked when I get back. <laughs> Um, but good for you for being, you know, recognizing that driving home would not be the, the safest option, calling, uh, you know, the modern day equivalent of a cab. I salute you, sir. Very, very mature and appropriate <laughs> and positive example set for all of our listeners who I know are drunk, a uh, bunch of uh, drunk ass bastards. So good. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Um, man, I don't know. It sounds like you've been kind of busy, though. What? Which night was the night that you were posting all those pictures of booze on your Instagram? You posted, like, this picture. It looked like a fucking bathtub full of, like, <laughs> red-colored booze of some sort. I was like, oh, man, Corey's got it going tonight. Like, what uh, night was that? A bathtub? <laughs> What are you talking about? I mean, the about? picture, your camera your camera was close to the cup, so it looked a lot bigger than it probably was. <laughs> it looked like this giant fucking, like, king-sized goblet full of, uh, I don't know, red stuff. I didn't. It didn't look like wine. It looked like, I don't know, something else. Yeah, that remember was... That? No? no, I totally remember that. That was, on, um, that was on Friday night, the night that I got drunk really early. That was the second... No, that was the first drink... No, maybe I only got one drink at the bakery bar. Um, but that was like, a, it was basically like a Manhattan. So it was mostly like bourbon, I think, um, like bourbon whiskey and a couple of other things. And it's funny because the, the I guess now that I'm thinking about it, the way I took the picture, it was basically filling the entire frame of the photo. But in actuality, yeah, it, looked, it looked it looked enormous. Yeah, dude. in actuality, that was like maybe two ounces of beverage and that and that cup. It was a very small, like really small cup because it was... You know, it was probably, the drink was probably 90%, like, just straight-up liquor. So, you know, they tend to serve those drinks in smaller quantities. So it might have looked very large, but it was, like, two ounces of drink. But it was delicious, and it was good, and I feel like I did not make a mistake ordering it. But, yeah, it was not as much as it looked probably in the picture. All right, you, you had me hoodwinked with your extreme close-up, <laughs> so you threw me for a loop there. But, uh, okay, good, good, good. I was like, because I'm like, it's... I'm like, is he going to get in this thing? Is he going to be bathing in this? What the fuck is going on? Like, this like this enormous bathtub full of <laughs> stuff. So, okay, good, 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 good. Well, that sounds pretty eventful. Uh, yeah, it sounds cool. And uh, I don't know, maybe you'll have to take me out in a swamp swamp boat when we go out there to visit, you know, like swamp. <laughs> Although, I got to be I gotta be honest, like, I've thought about this before because we talked about it. The family and he talked about it. Um, as long as our financial situation, you know, stays on the upswing, 
Uh, we still definitely have uh, New Orleans on the on the plate at some point, and we were like, oh, so what should we do? I, I think we kind of talked about this before, but, um, you know, Swamp Boat Tour was one of the things that came up, but I'm like, that seems really cool, except for, like, that one time when the Swamp Boat flips over and then you're stuck in the middle of alligator country, <laughs> which would inevitably be what happened to us. Like, I mean, it would just, it would just be, like, inevitable. So I'm like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of scary, man. Anyway, but, like, like, totally off the topic, but you said that Chris was... Uh, lifting all over the place and you know we've taken lift i'm not like a frequent lift user but every once in a while i will use it my wife has been using it every once in a while and i kind of wonder would it be more cost effective to lift all over the place or just to rent a car because you said he didn't have a car and like when we go to places we usually tend to rent a car although to be frank i'm not sure that uber and lyft even existed the last time we took a vacation so <laughs> maybe we would have had more options I mean, what do you think i mean you have a little bit more experience with this than I do. Would you think it'd be more cost-effective to lift or just to rent? Oh, man. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I mean, it, it really I mean, it really depends on probably a lot of factors going on here because I know, um, well, I guess, I mean, I think they got an Airbnb. So I was going to say something along the lines of, like, I know on certain travel sites, if you book a hotel, you can maybe book or, like, a rental car for cheaper if you bundle them or something like that. But Airbnb is not, like, you can't rent Airbnbs on, like, um, Expedia.com or something like that, you have to, you know, go to Airbnb's site. So, like, if you got a hotel, like, if you did a big bundle and you booked, like, a flight in a hotel and a rental car all, all together, there's probably some kind of discount based on the travel site you use. Um, or, I mean, the other thing you could do is, I mean, honestly, if you use Lyft or Uber, you can, like, pre-plot out rides and see about how expensive they'll be. So if you think, like oh, well, Friday night, we're probably going to want to take a cab or a Lyft or an Uber from here to here, you know, three times a day or two times a day. You can probably just, like, look at the, like, kind of pre-plan the rates and then see, um, you know, how expensive they are. Like, oh, this 15-minute drive will be, you know, $17. And then if I want to leave a $2 tip or whatever and then kind of plan it that way. But I don't know. That's kind of an interesting thing to think about because I've personally, I've never rented a car. Like, I've gone on one vacation with Patrick or we went to, uh, to South Carolina for a wedding a couple years ago and he rented a car um, from the airport, which was definitely the right thing for us to do. Cause I think when we got there, we actually had to drive like a couple hours from the airport. So obviously we weren't going to take like a two hour lift or Uber ride, but I don't really know what the going rates are for rental cars. And I'm sure it varies from place to place and from the size of car. And, you know, you can get luxury cars or you can get like, you know, pretty like standard, um, cars that are like aren't very expensive so i don't know there's probably a, like some economics table out there somewhere that has all this stuff plotted out but um i don't know i but i feel like at a certain point renting a car is probably cheaper depending on how much you want to travel around the city i would be curious because i don't do a lot of travel now but i used to do a lot of travel when i was younger and i rented many many cars back in those days um so I guess I just kind of wonder, like, you know, and I wonder if, if rental companies are noticing, like, a big chunk of their business is being taken out by Uber and Lyft, and so maybe their rates are having to be dropped to stay competitive. And also, related, like, I often think that, like, the money that Uber and Lyft drivers make is, like, not enough. Like, I don't want to pay them more because I don't, I'm not rich, you know? But, like, when I look at the economics of, like, how much they're making for how much they're driving, it seems like there's no way it could possibly work out. Like, like for example, my car... I didn't talk about this on the show, but uh, like one or two weeks ago, 
my car battery suddenly died. And when I say suddenly, I mean in one moment it was fine. The next moment it was 100% <laughs> oh dead. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I went to, I don't think I said this, but I, 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 I drove up to my landlord's house. He lives nearby, and he's a cool guy, so we're, we're, we're tight. And I drove up there to drop off my rent check. I always drop it off as like a little favor to him so he doesn't have to come collect it, and he doesn't have to wait in the mail. I just I drop it off. And drove up there. No problem. Got up to his front door, dropped off the check. All good. Gonna hop back in the car, go back to work, and click, click, click. Car does not start. And I'm like, motherfucker, my car is dead in front of my landlord's house. Like, directly <laughs> in front of my landlord's house. And I was... And I had just enough time to get to work if my car was running so now my car wasn't running i'm like oh my god i can't be late today so i called a lift and like from my landlord's house to where i worked i mean it was probably like 25 minutes not as the crow flies but because of traffic and everything you know mm -hmm. and i mean it was only ended up being like an 11 dollar ride or something like that and i'm like dude there's no way you can be making money on this like for the amount of gas you're spending because gas over here i don't know where it is where you are Gas is pretty close to $4 a gallon here in Seattle. So with the amount of gas, the amount of time we spent in traffic, I'm like, you're only making like 11 bucks, you know, pre-tip, of course. And I'm like, that's, I mean, I, that just doesn't seem like enough money for what you're doing, dude. Like, I don't, I hope you're getting your bills paid and stuff. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know the economics of Lyft and Uber, and I don't know how it relates to rental cars. And honestly, I don't know why we've been talking about this, because who fucking cares? <laughs> But that's the way it goes on So Video Games Banter, I suppose. So anyway, <laughs> I do have other topics unless you wanted to uh, keep talking about rental. If you got anything else on your banter, on your banter plate, man. Um, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't feel like I don't think I have anything that I can think of. Not a problem, dude. I got you covered because I got way too much right now. So. Uh, coming out today, announcing to the world that I'm switching teams. It's it's that time. I just looked deep inside myself and I realized I couldn't live a lie any longer. Oh Corey, I I now have an Android phone. Stopped using iPhone. Oh, I'm on the Android team now. I saw your tweets about this and I forgot about <laughs> it, but I was hoping that you would want to discuss it. Yeah, man. I I mean, I don't. I'm not. I'm not an expert about iPhones or Androids. I am definitely like a dilettante when it comes to that. But uh, yeah, the wife and I have been talking about it for a while, and we were like just kind of sick of apple's bullshit was kind of the biggest factor like <laughs> you know that thing about them slowing down older phones um intentionally and about how quickly their stuff is getting outdated i was really hacked off about them taking away the um headphone jack on their new phones which i thought was really stupid and uncalled for and i know that all the douche bros around here who think they're the shit wear those little um wireless headphones and they're so proud to show you and they like tilt their head in a certain way to make sure the light catches it just right uh it's kind of um, the same same thing on the college campus that i work at here in new orleans it's like every i feel like every student they just like get admitted to the university and they just like hand them a pair of those ear pods on the way in and i mean i i i'm sure they're great but they just look dumb like i'm sorry but they look silly just like these white things hanging out of your ears but I don't know. Yeah. I kind of like roll my eyes every time I see them, but I'm sure if I had a pair, I'd be like, oh my God, these are so amazing. So who am I to say? I mean, I get the idea of like having wireless. Like I've had, you know, I've, I've worn headphones before and then the wire gets caught on something. Like I get that it's an issue, but like this seems like more of like a statement, you know, it's mm. like a, a something to say, something about who you are rather than that. And I would like to have the option because sometimes I still use it. I'm using the headphone jack in my phone like all the time. Like I, when I'm in the car or when I'm at home or something. So I need that. And so, 
And, and I mean, regardless, there's like a number of reasons why I'm just sick of Apple's bullshit. Like some features that you couldn't change that they think you're too dumb to be able to be in charge of and stuff like that. The memory was the biggest thing. Like not being able to just pop in an SD card and like increase your memory was really fucking pissing me off. And the wife as well. I mean, we have the same complaints about the phones. So we have phones from a couple years ago, probably more than a couple years ago. You know, time goes by quickly when you're an old person. Um, <laughs> But we're like, you know, uh, her work is going to be mostly PC-based. I'm a PC guy in general. Uh, we're not really deeply in the Apple ecosystem. Like, I mean, I bought a couple songs here and there. And we'll still use the Apple TV because that's really convenient. So we're happy to use that for TV. That's a good fit for, for home use. But we're just like, ah, oh, so sick of this. And, like, I don't want to pay $1,000 for a phone, dude. Like, I just don't. So we decided that when it was time to switch we were going to go to android and we finally took the jump we went down to uh, our local sprint store and uh, we're looking at the options and i was like literally like literally thunderstruck because when we asked about the phones that they had a couple lg phones they had some samsung phones and stuff i'm like oh these look fine you know they don't look like super shitty like they did a couple years ago when apple was clearly the better choice but now it seems like you're they're they're basically equivalent you know so we, we looked at the prices, and the prices were cheaper for the non-Apple stuff, of course. And then when I asked uh, the dude, like, oh, and on my current plan, and, you know, with all my perks, and what offers do you have and stuff, if I if I got the two LG phones, which is what we ended up getting uh, that day, and signed up for a new contract, my bill actually dropped by 100 bucks. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm definitely doing this. We're doing this now. New phones, we got rid of Apple, and I'm paying 100 bucks less a month than I was before, so 100%, yes, let's do this. So, it's been fine so far. I mean, do you are you currently an iPhone guy or an Android guy? Yeah, I have, we can discuss this in a minute after you talk about your new phone, but I, I've always been an iPhone guy. I got my first iPhone, I think, when I was a junior in college. I was probably, like, 20, so I guess for, like, 10 years I've been on the iPhone train. So that's a pretty good amount of time, dude. I mean, are, are you like one of those iPhone people and no judgment, of course, but like you got like that poster of like Steve Jobs on your wall and like every single thing you have is like Apple white and like you get in line the day before the new release and you get every phone. Like, are you that guy or no? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I remain, I guess, like loyal, if you will, to Apple, but I also understand like the stuff you're talking about, like the bullshit that kind of comes along with um with using iphones but i think the thing for i mean i obviously i like my iphone i don't really have a whole lot of complaints about it um but i i think the thing for me is that and i i know they do this on purpose and i'm sure that every you know phone company or electronics company tries to do this in one way or another but like because i've had an iphone for so long i feel like i kind of like I'm kind of, like, trapped in, like, Apple's, like, gadgets because I had a MacBook Pro for a really long time in college, and, I mean, so they just, like, worked really well together, and, like, I had an, I, I still have an iPad, but I haven't used it in years, but I bought an iPad 2, like, way back in 2011 as sort of, like, a graduation present to myself when I graduated college, um, like, graduation slash birthday present, and... Um, and like Patrick has a MacBook Air, and that's what I use whenever I edit our podcasts and stuff. And I use a MacBook uh, Pro at work. That's my work computer. Um, but I feel like because I've been using an iPhone for so long, like I know, you know, I could make the switch to Android and it probably like I'd probably be fine at the end of the day. You know, it wouldn't be like a big issue or anything. But I feel like because a lot of my, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of my info is kind of like synced as far as like 
every time I upgrade my iPhone, like all my pictures that I've ever taken just immediately transfer to my new phone. And like I use iTunes and I use Apple Music to listen to music a lot. So like all the music that I have just like magically transfers to my new phone and all of my apps transfer. It's just like it's it's just easy because I'm I've been in it for so long that every time I get a new iPhone. It's just like they activate it at the store. I bring it home. I let it like, I don't know. I let iCloud update and then it's like, boom, everything that was on my old phone is now on my new phone. And it's like, I didn't, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to make any adjustments. I don't have to buy a new computer. I don't have to use like a new music software. And I know that if you get, I mean, I'm suspecting if you get an Android phone, if you switch, you really only have to do that like labor intensive switching of apps and music and photo situation like one time and then that's it. But I've, I've just been using Apple for so long that I feel like I wouldn't really want to make the switch, but I'm not, and I'm not like a diehard, like I've never been like a lineup at the Apple store to get a phone, um, never had a poster of Steve Jobs in my room. I don't really like <laughs> look up to like tech CEOs as, um, as I don't know, like great figures of society because they're basically just like a bunch of rich white dudes who are um, exploiting overseas labor in China with really terrible labor practices in order for us to get these phones. But who am I to judge? Because I've been using an iPhone for 10 years, so I can't act like I'm some, like, you know, higher party and, uh, you know, presence about, like, moral-centered presence about this kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I Patrick has talked about, because Patrick's been using an iPhone since the very first iPhone, um, and he has talked about whenever he upgrades, because his iPhone is probably about three years old. And I, he and I have usually been the kind of people that upgrade every two years. Like, um, and we have opposite, like we've never had the same phone. So like he'll upgrade one year and then I'll upgrade the next year. And so we always get like, one of us will get like the next best one or the newest one or whatever. But he's, sure, had, sure. he's had his for probably about three years. And I think I've upgraded mine twice since he got his. And he has expressed interest in getting an Android phone the next time he upgrades. But I don't know if he's ever going to prioritize that. I kind of actually should probably ask him about that. I don't know why he hasn't upgraded his phone. I mean, I think it's probably just because his still works pretty well like there's nothing like drastically wrong with it but i mean he like makes it's not like he's like poor like he makes enough money to where he could go upgrade his phone like any day of the week and be totally fine so um yeah i don't know why he hasn't done that but he's expressed interest in switching to android um i probably said why like does he have and like what is his reason just for a change or does it something about apple that he's grown to like dislike after a while or um i'm not positive i think it might be some of the same maybe some of the same reasons that you were interested in switching and plus like now that we have our gaming pc at home he's getting a little more like technically savvy and i know a big selling point for android phones is that you can kind of like do whatever you want on them whereas iphones like apple kind of like locks you out of certain things that they kind of like don't want you to do like they want a lot of control over how you use your phone yeah so yeah, i think yeah, yeah. he kind of would like exploring some of like the customization options and like the stuff you can't really do on an iphone whereas i don't really care about that stuff like i don't need to like change the themes and everything and like you know reverse engineer my phone in order to make it work differently like i don't i don't need to do that but he might be interested in that so that might be another reason for him too yeah yeah well i would be interested to hear more about his perspective um i mean so far that we've been doing this i mean um i've been pretty happy with it so far i mean of course it runs a little bit differently the controls are a little bit different but i think it's pretty comparable in terms of service i mean 
switching my apps over was real easy. Everything that was really important. I mean, Muzzle, Marvel, Marvel Puzzle Quest transferred over, no problem. <laughs> uh, which was the most, which was the most important thing because I always told my wife, I'm like, if I can't transfer Puzzle Quest, then I'm not gonna switch because, <laughs> dude, I'm like almost four years deep in that fucking game. I'm not gonna throw that out the window. That'd Are you be so me? funny if that was like the thing that made you stay with Apple forever because you like couldn't transfer your game progress over to an Android phone. <laughs> like, like literally, if they never, if they never allowed Android Switch, I would be on an iPhone forever. Or at least until I quit the game, because like I've spent so much time on that game, I'm not, I'm not letting go of that. So like that was important, but that switched over, took two seconds, no problem at all. Uh, I mean, almost all my stuff transferred over, no problem, which was great. I had to locate a couple new programs that didn't have equivalents on Android right away, but that was no problem at all. My favorite podcast program is not on Android, but I found another one that works just as fine. Um, the phone that I got does not have the built-in flashlight function. And I don't know about you, but I use the flashlight function on my iPhone like like every day, dude. I love having, like, all the time, all the time. Every night, I use the flashlight all the time. So I got to get the, the flashlight thing loaded up on here. But there is, there's like 42 million flashlight apps, so it's not a problem. So, so far, it's fine. Um, but then, again, you go through the whole rigmarole of finding a new case for the phone and then finding new plugs and getting the car charger and all the random accessories that go with it. So we're in the middle of all that. But so far I've been pretty happy with it. And I just, I really like number one, that the memory is so much larger because when we bought our phones, which again was a while ago, the basic model was 16 gigabytes, I think. Oh and my God. That's, yeah. It's like, it's painful. It's really painful, but my phone worked fine. My iPhone worked fine. I still liked it. It did everything I needed it to do. It was still in great shape. It wasn't broken or cracked. I did not feel the need to upgrade. But because Apple locks you out of the memory, I'm like, oh, my God, like I have to, you know, I can I got to delete one picture for every picture that I take. This is really painful <laughs> and I don't like doing it. So I really like the option of just being able to pop in like, a, you know, the guy is like, oh, yeah, you can put like a one terabyte SD card in this thing. No problem. I'm like, yes. Yeah. See that if, if Apple had done that, like I probably would still be with Apple because that was the hugest thing for me was like memory is easy you can stick a memory card in any you can put a memory card in your fucking toaster these days if you want to <laughs> so for them to keep that out of your hands to me it was just like one step too far but anyway anyway not to be all tech talk uh and shit on the show i will keep you posted i would love to hear about patrick later on but let's move on really quickly um let's talk about entertainment have you been watching anything good Corey? you watching anything good on uh netflix or anything lovely lately because i've been watching something i was going to share but i'll let you go first if you got something oh uh, i have been watching literally nothing at all ever no i haven't been there's like a couple movies on netflix that i've been meaning to watch but it's one of those things where i just can't bring myself to sit down and watch them like i don't know why but um yeah i haven't been watching anything like tv wise what's on your what's on your postponement list is it like some like documentary like we talked about last episode uh no it's um there's a new uh urban martial arts film called the night comes for us that released on netflix about oh i heard about that yeah i heard about that yeah it's from basically it's like all the entire group of actors and fight choreographers that did uh the movies the raid and the raid 2 which i firmly believe are the greatest urban martial arts films ever made um the raid 2 probably specifically but they've done, like, all those actors have kind of done a bunch of movies together. Like, they did The Raid and The Raid 2, which were directed and produced by the same, written, directed, and produced by the same guy, uh, Gareth Evans. And then a bunch of the guys from those movies did a movie called Headshot that came out about a year and a half ago. And it was, like, it was, like, okay. Like, it was, it wasn't as good as either of the Raid movies, but it was, like, fine as far as, you know, uh, like, 
uh, foreign, and they're in Indonesian movies. I don't know if I said that. So they're like subtitled and everything, but most of the movie is action. So you're not like, you know, um, like marred by reading a bunch of uh, like subtitles the whole time. And then the newest one um, called The Night Comes For Us just came out. They signed a deal with Netflix and it just, I, it's only been out for like a couple weeks. And it basically features, it's not written or directed by Gareth Evans, but it features pretty much all the same people in it. And it's been getting really good reviews. It's been getting a lot of buzz. Um, I really need to just sit down and watch it because I know I'm probably going to love it. And I already know, you know, it's all the same actors that I like. It's all the same fight choreographers and everything. It's just a different, um, like, director and cinematographer and producers and stuff like that. But that's probably the big one. And the other one, which is a little bit, I don't want to say superfluous, but it's, like, because it's been out for, like, a year and a half. And I, I told myself I was going to watch it the day it came out, and I didn't. Is there's actually it is a documentary. There's a documentary about Lady Gaga on Netflix called um, Five Foot Two, and it's supposed to be really good. Uh, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Lady Gaga. You're like you're like the biggest Gaga fan. I know. Why you didn't watch this? I don't know. It's just because I can't. I would. I just don't. I have such a hard time like sitting down and watching stuff, and I would rather be like editing photos or playing a video game yeah, or something yeah. like that. But I have I discovered one thing that. I've discovered is the best way to get myself to sit down and watch movies lately or watch TV or something is because I guess back in July, I started painting my nails for the first time. And because when you paint your nails, you literally cannot do anything with your hands for like an hour while you paint your nails. It's the perfect opportunity to watch movies. I mean, the trouble with that is you kind of have to watch a movie you've seen before or something that you don't need to pay a lot of attention to because you're obviously like looking down at your hands and painting your nails, but it's a pretty good opportunity to like watch things because you can't like play a computer game or play VR or, you know, be like typing on the keyboard because your nails will get messed up. So that's like something that I try to coincide with watching stuff on TV if I like really need to like sit down and step away from the computer or something for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Well, <clears throat> I do want to see that one action movie. That was on my radar. But uh, I, like you, I often have a hard time sitting down to watch something because time is so limited for me that I feel like, like I sit down and then I feel kind of restless because it feels like whatever I watch, it feels like it's taking forever and I'm wasting so much time <laughs> because I, there's all these other things I should be doing. So I, I understand that emotion very much. But I got to say, like this week has been kind of a crazy week. I've been like really tired at night and I've not been up to do my usual level of productivity for various reasons um so last night i was like oh my god i'm exhausted i just want to sit down and watch something and castlevania the second season of castlevania came out on netflix did you watch the first one by any chance i that's kind of another thing that i had been meaning to watch but of course me being the person that i am did not uh but i did hear that the second season came out and apparently it's good too just like the first season yeah i mean i i watched the first season and i was like i was like wow it was like a thousand times better than I ever thought it was going to be. It was really, 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 really good, uh, which just blew me away. I was so surprised. Um, we haven't watched Castlevania yet. I'm going to try to get a couple episodes in today. Uh, but the wife and I did watch the, oh God, what's it called? Like, it's the one that's based off Sabrina the Witch. It's like the the spooky adventures of Sabrina or something like that. Uh, you do, do you, have you seen the ads for that? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because I almost texted Patrick the other day to tell him to jokingly tell him that I was going to watch the entire season while he's out of town because he actually, I don't know if this is embarrassing or not, or if I'm going to like put him on blast by saying this, but he actually has pretty recently been rewatching a lot of the old Sabrina, the teenage witch. Cause I think it's on Hulu. And so a few months ago he was like, 
watching an episode or two every night whenever he came home. And it's like such, I mean, it's, it's there, there's nothing else I can say than it's of its time because it's so nineties. It's so cheesy. It's so dated, but he was really into it. And apparently the reboot or whatever you want to call it on Netflix is actually good. So I almost texted him yesterday and was like, Oh, I'm going to watch all this while you're out of town and you're not going to be here to watch it with me, but I'm sure he'll probably watch it whenever he gets back. I was not the biggest fan of that 90s series. I, you know, I'm aware of it. I saw a couple episodes and I was like, oh, that's cute, whatever. But it was, wasn't my thing at the time. Um, and, you know, I'm not really like deep in the Archie universe. I mean, that's, of course, related to Archie, like the famous, you know, comic strip or comic book that you can still buy, like at the grocery stand. And, you know, I mean, so people rebooted Riverdale and that's based on Archie. And that apparently that's pretty good. I haven't seen that, but it's about like the Archie universe if it was like a murder mystery sort of a thing. Um, and recently Archie has been taking a lot of turns. I don't know if you know this or not, but we go to the comic shop every now and again, and there are a lot of really, um, big departures for the Archie series. Like there was one where like zombies invaded, um, Archie's world. And then, and one there, like there's murder going on and there's like all sorts of gruesome stuff. So like they've been doing a lot with the Archie property lately. Um, which is weird. I mean, it's always been so clean cut and just like, you know, kind of cheesy in a way. And I've never really thought much of it that, you know, in that sense. But anyway, we, we watched Sabrina last night, spooky, the horrible, I totally can't remember what it's called. Something, something adventures of Sabrina. (laughs) And like, wow, I was like, I was rocked by like how dark it was and like how different it was. And like what, I mean, it was cool. Like we liked it. Uh, I mean, I think my wife liked it. I'm pretty sure she did. I I should probably ask her. Shouldn't assume. Don't assume, guys. Uh, But I thought it was really cool. The the main actress in it was a little bit weird. She seemed a little bit flat to me in in terms of her um, emoting. But, I mean, I think that may change as the series goes on. It was only the first episode, so you got to give them a little bit of breathing room there. But the premise is, like, it's so different. I mean, the premise is, like, Sabrina is uh, about to turn 16, and that's the time when she needs to do her dark baptism, which is what they call it on the show, where she, like, devotes her life to Satan. And, like, everybody in her family is, like, like literally like a satanic witch where you have to, like, give your soul to the devil. And, you know, they eat human flesh and they do spells and it's all dark and kill people and shit. And I'm like, God damn, this is this is a bit much. <laughs> like, it's a little bit a little bit of a leap here for me. Uh, but at the same time, it was kind of cool because she was like once she does her dark baptism and gives herself to Satan, she has to abandon her mortal life. And so she's like, Oh, but I've got a boyfriend that I really like. And I got a lot of cool friends at school that I don't want to give up. And why do I have to choose between real life and the devil? And <laughs> I mean, it was dark, dude. There was like monsters and shit. Like Satan shows up at one point. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, ah, like he just, uh. like, it's bloody and it's dark and it's creepy, but it's good. So I liked it. I think we're going to try to watch another couple episodes. I mean, we'll probably finish the whole series if it's as good as the first episode. But um, wow, just a very, very bold reimagining of something that I've always seen as pretty goofy and silly and harmless and toothless. So, it, boy, it, they went they went all in, man. Yeah. Is it like R-rated or is it like PG-13? I would say, I would, I would say it's like an R. Because, oh, really? I mean, so far. I mean, there hasn't been any like explicit sex although i think there is the possibility for that but um yeah just some of the stuff that they showed was like really intense like i think um really scary and uh yeah i don't know i mean like verging on pg-13 r i'm thinking probably closer to r i bet as the series goes on i'll bet you anything it'll be a pretty hard r so we'll see but yeah it's it's not for kids it's not 
as smiley, smiley, you know, harmless and bubblegum as it used to be. Like it's, it's super dark. Like literally like Satan, like Satan shows up and he's not friendly. <laughs> he's like, he's like horrible and he's like scary looking and shit. So yeah, check it out. And you know, when you, Patrick comes back, you guys watch it. Let me know what you think. We can compare notes. Uh, we'll get a few more episodes in. We'll see how that goes. So, um, speaking of scary Satan, uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Halloween is coming up around the corner. You doing anything for Halloween, Corey? Uh, probably not. I mean, I haven't really... I, I peaked at Halloween whenever I was 22 because uh, I was in marching band in college. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I was in marching band uh, for my university for three out of the four years that I went to school. And um, we, every practice, because we had practice five days a week, um, Every practice that we had that fell on Halloween, we would wear Halloween costumes to practice, and there would be a Halloween costume competition on top of um, actually, you know, practicing for the halftime show and everything. And we, I wore a custom-made, quote-unquote, because it was kind of garbagey, but it was also kind of awesome. I dressed as Lady Gaga for my, let's bring her right back up again. Um, I dressed as her whenever I, I think I was 22 for marching Mizzou practice, and um, I made, I based her, my costume that I made for her off of this like really avant-garde, um, like it's called like an orbital costume and it basically, it's like a harness and it has like these rings, these like four or five rings that kind of, it, she looks like Saturn. It's like she is Saturn and then there's rings around her like strapped to this harness thing and they, they're like really slick, like stainless steel looking and they like rotate up and down and like spin around her and she wore it on her first uh, performance on Saturday Night Live for the second song that she did. She wore it and she wore it a little bit in the Bad Romance video and for some of the pr promotional images for the Monster Ball tour after the Fame Monster came out and I love it. It's probably my favorite thing she's ever worn so I built this like really kind of terribly built um, orbital costume out of this like wire stuff that I found at like Home Depot because I d obviously didn't have the resources to like go like all in on this but I won the costume contest and I marched, Whoa. yeah, I won, there was best male and best female, and I won the best male award. And I also bought a pair of black high heels at Target, and I marched for almost an entire practice in high heels for marching band while playing oh the God. cymbals and the drum line. And it was Did on... Did like your ankles? Was no, I, I actually was okay. I mean, I took them off probably about 70% through the practice because I like had to get serious after a while, but... Um, but but I won the costume contest, and so I haven't really, like, done... I, like, I'm not really big on, like, uh, I don't know, like, costume parties and stuff like that anyway. So I haven't really done anything, I think, since then. Um, and, like, this weekend that just passed, I mean, the weekend that's closest to Halloween is obviously, like, the weekend where everybody has their Halloween parties, especially if um, Halloween falls on a weekday like it is this year. And, I mean, like, I don't really know anybody that has Halloween parties or like invites people to Halloween parties. Like last year I went out cause I had some friends in town from Kansas city who were or actually a friend that I knew from Kansas city that lives in Portland now, um, was in town a year ago. And I went out with them last year. We went to, um, I think I talked about it on the show, actually we went to a burlesque show, um, that was around Halloween. And then we just went out to some clubs and stuff after that, but I didn't like dress up like they dressed up, but I didn't. And I didn't right, do, right. yeah, I didn't do anything this year. I probably won't. I think, at work, there's going to be, like, a costume contest on Halloween, and I don't think I'm going to wear anything. I was thinking about, um, 
I have the Ryan Gosling's jacket, the Scorpion jacket from Drive. I have the black, a black version of it because his is white and gold and I have a black on black version. I was thinking about wearing that to work with driving gloves just as kind of like a half-assed, like, you know, Drive cosplay, but I don't know if I will. <laughs> when you first said Lady Gaga, I was going to ask you if you just like pinned a pork chop to your lapel and showed up and like, hey guys, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, so my son is still into Halloween and we're happy to support him. Uh, last year, I think you, you probably will recall, I made him like this giant um, cardboard diva outfit that he wore, diva from Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was like a lot of work, a lot of elbow grease, a lot of this and that. And um, I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that again this year because <laughs> it's just, it's too much work. And he ended up wearing it for just a short period of time because it was really heavy and Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're like, let's go something low, low effort, low maintenance. And he wanted to be um, Spider-Gwen. Do you know who Spider-Gwen is? Yes. With all the Spider-Man cosplay portraiture I do, you can bet your ass I know who oh, it is. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah, okay. You know the Spider-Man crew. Of course. What a silly question. I, I'm so <laughs> stupid. Of course you know who Spider-Gwen is. So for people who may not know, Spider-Gwen, I think is like a character from an alternate Marvel universe. It's not in the mainline Spider-Man universe, but in one of these alternate universes, it's Peter Parker's original girlfriend, Gwen Stacy, who gets bit by the spider and then ends up not getting killed. Uh, I think it's the Green Goblin that kills her. I can't remember. I'm not up in my, my Spider-Man lore. But anyway, in the mainline universe, Gwen Stacy dies real early on. And that, like, messes Peter Parker up. And this is before he meets Mary Jane. Uh, but in this, in this alternate universe, Gwen Stacy gets bitten. She gets the spider powers and she becomes... I mean, I guess Lady Spider-Gwen, or I don't know what, what her official name is, but everybody I know calls her Spider-Gwen. That's actually what she's called in um, Puzzle Quest as well. So she has a like, different kind of a suit. It's kind of like a white suit. It's got a hoodie. It's got, like, some pink accents and some webbing in some cool places. Like, it's a pretty pretty snappy-looking suit. Like, I think it looks pretty tight. And so my son's like, oh, I want to be Spider-Gwen. I'm like, all right, dope. That's a cool suit. Let's do it. <laughs> and at first I was like, well, can we make it? I'm like, no, 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 stop. We're not making it. We're not making nothing. <laughs> Stop it. So I look online and, you know, there's like a billion options. And so we order him one. And I, it's it's hard to tell on eBay, like, where it's coming from. Because I, I uh, we've ordered him stuff in the past where it's like an eBay reseller or something. And, like, you know, sometimes it's in the States, but often it's like in China. And I'm like, I don't want to do that again because sometimes it comes quick and sometimes it takes forever. And I knew that the Halloween weekend was coming up. I'm like, okay. I put it off a little bit longer than it should have. Let's get this here. And I look at this place. It looks legit. It doesn't seem like it's coming from China. Place the order. Guess where it's coming from? Coming from fucking China. Of course it is. I'm like, God damn it. Okay, so we just, we hope and pray. We hope and pray. We hope and pray. The shipping information has not been updated for like a week. I'm like, I'm starting to get a little nervous. We're starting to talk about like a backup costume. And right as we're about to like, just, okay, whatever, fine. Let's get you something else. It shows up like the next day. So I'm like, hooray, got here before Halloween. Excellent. Yay, yay, yay. Pull out the costume, like super cool. Like it's a little bit big because it was like it was like a woman's costume, but we got the smallest size. And he, he's not huge for being nine, but he, you know, he's he's a good sized kid. And um, between him being tall as he is, and the smallest woman's size, like it ended up being not very big at all on him. So it was a pretty good fit. We'll have to cinch it in a few places, but no big deal. But the interesting thing is that when he puts on the costume, it looks real good, like real good quality, real good details. Like it all looks very nice. Like you immediately know who it is. It looks, it looks correct. Right. So he puts on the spider Gwen mask and he's like, I can't see anything. And I'm like, what? Oh, no. And I look at it 
So the, the material that they use for the entire bodysuit is the material that they use for the face mask, and it's the exact same material, therefore he can't see through the eye holes. What the hell? It's, I, that's what we said. We're like, what the fuck? Did you not realize a human being's going to put this on their head? What is even going on with this? This is ridiculous. So, like, the pant material or, the you know, the, the chest material is the exact same material that's covering his face. We're like, okay, this is not going to work. He can't see. So today, literally today after the podcast, uh, I think uh, my wife is going to take him down to, like, Joanna Frabix or something. We're going to have to, like, cut the eye holes out, and she's going to get some kind of, like, more see-through fabric, you know, some kind of... Uh, pantyhose material or something like that to put over there because like it looks like a great costume but he can't see shit out of the face so we're gonna we're gonna get that patched uh but it looks good looks good so we're gonna take him around that's what we're gonna do um one final thing just uh as a side note for halloween um we don't have to get really super deep into this and this is kind of game related so maybe i should be talking about this in the main episode but you know i've been getting kind of back into fortnite a little bit i um I found a buddy who is also a game reviewer who is awake at the same hours that I am, and he often needs uh, someone to do the challenges in Fortnite with. I mean, uh, you know, Fortnite, of course, is the battle royale, one versus 100 sort of a thing. But there's also all these little challenges that you can do because you can't win every time. Like, you just, you rarely, I think I've won, like, twice, which was, like, really thrilling. But you lose more often than you win unless you're, like, an internet badass or something. So... (laughs) They, they know this, and they know how disheartening it is to not win every time. And so they put all these other little challenges in that if you can do these, it makes you feel like you've done something good. So it'll be like, it'll be like oh, uh, do 200 points worth of damage with a shotgun to somebody. So, like, you don't have to kill them, and you don't have to even win. But, like, if you do 200 points of damage, which ends up being, like, I don't know, six shots or something like that, then, then oh, you get a little, you get a perk. You win some stars, and those go towards your season total, and you unlock, you know, new skins and whatever, whatever. So it gives you a little something to work towards. So he needs, um, very often it's, it's much easier to do it with a partner than it is to do it alone. So we've been working on those at nighttime and they just have, have a new promotion right now called Fort Nightmares, which is actually really, really cool. I know every video game out there is doing a Halloween promotion right now. You know, Overwatch rolls out their tired ass, like Halloween skins. Like, I think it's great to get new skins in Overwatch, but they never do anything really different for it. And it just feels like it's too hard to get those. Like, you just have to, like, keep playing and keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. And maybe you'll get lucky with your loot boxes, which is really a drag. I much prefer Fortnite's system of just work towards it. And you know exactly how far you have to go and what you got to do. So that, to me, feels like better. But everybody's got Halloween promotions. And Fortnite Marys is really cool because some people don't know that when Fortnite first debuted, it was not Battle Royale. It was kind of like a cooperative PvE mode. Um... And so in that mode, you built a fort, and which is probably why they called it Fortnite, <laughs> hung out with your friends, and then a bunch of zombies would come in waves, and you had to defend your fort. And, like, you worked with your friends to defend your fort from the zombies. That's what that game originally was. Like, a lot of people don't even know that because that mode is still there, but you have to pay for it. It is not free, and so nobody plays it because no one wants to pay for that. But I played it back in the day. And the new Fort Nightmares promotion takes those zombies from the PvE mode and puts them in PvP 1 versus 100, which is actually really fucking cool because when you're doing the Battle Royale, you know, it's like really tense. Everybody versus everybody. You know, you're, you're quiet. You're trying to hide. You're trying to snipe people. You know, it's really it's really super, super um, intense. But when you add the zombies to that, what happens is these little points appear all over the map and they just like randomly spawn zombies. And so somebody who might be quietly waiting to snipe somebody, 
will instead find that they get surrounded by zombies and they have to they, like get out of that spot or they have to shoot the zombies to defend themselves. And if they're moving and if they're shooting, then other people will know where they are. And so like it makes it a lot harder to be stealthy. You have to be a lot more um, strategic about where you're hiding. Um, hearing people shoot zombies off in the distance lets you know like like way more like way more often where other opponents are. And it just it changes the whole dynamic of the thing. And especially when you get to the end game, like when there's only like ten people left or five people left, when it's really intense, they ratchet up the number of zombies like by a lot. And so like zombies start flooding the map. And so it, <laughs> it becomes like you versus the enemies versus the zombies all at the same time. It's pretty awesome. Like, I think it's really, really cool. I like that a lot. I hope that they make it a permanent mode because I think it's really fun and it adds a lot to the game. Like, it makes it feel very different than the traditional Battle Royale stuff. And they've had, like, a bunch of new challenges just for that, like Kill 100 Zombies or, you know, something along those lines. Uh, it's been cool. It's been really fun. And I think out of all the Halloween promotions I've played so far, I think Fortnite Nightmares has been the, the coolest, most interesting, and uh, just the most fun to get into. So... Kudos to those guys for switching it up and uh, making it really different for Halloween. So it's good times. It's good times. I like whenever games do this thing where like, you know, maybe there's a game that has sort of like a tried and true or even like several games that sort of have like a tried and true sort of mode or, you know, whether it's like two on two or, you know, eight on eight, sort of like multiplayer or something like that. Or even if it's just like, I don't know, something like a single player kind of thing. And then there comes a time when one game or even somebody will add a mechanic to a new game, like what's happening in Fortnite, where it'll be like one, cause like adding a zombies to a thing is kind of like an, maybe like an eye rolly worth thing now. Cause zombies are in every game ever, but whenever you add or mix up just one small element of what's happening in the game and suddenly it changes like the way the entire game feels and for the better i mean it's i'm trying to think of other examples of this but i can't think of anything off the top of my head um, but i like when games do this where it's like oh you think you're playing a game that every other game is like or you've been playing this game for so long and you don't really you kind of become numb to thinking about ways to innovate it and then suddenly they're like oh we're just gonna add zombies to this and then it changes how it feels completely from there on out yeah it is a it's a real fundamental shift and you don't you don't think and initially that it would be that big of a change, but there's also this other element to it that I forgot to mention of risk reward. So what happens is you make noise when you shoot and people will be able to locate you by the noise that you make. And you also have to make sure that the zombies are not killing you. But when you kill the zombies, it actually, they drop like bullets and health and weapons. And so it becomes this risk reward of like, Oh, all I have is like a shitty pistol and I really need a better weapon. If I kill, if I sit here and kill a bunch of zombies, the chances are really good that they're going to drop a much better weapon but that also means that I'll be making a bunch of noise. And if there's anybody around, they're going to know that I'm right here so they can snipe me when I'm not looking. So it becomes a balance of like, oh, is it worth it for me to like risk my safety, kill some zombies, maybe get a better weapon and ultimately improve my chances of winning the game? Or should I be quiet and hide and hide? But then I'm not going to have a better weapon. I might not have enough health or whatever. And so like just like that, that aspect, the risk reward of killing the zombies and farming them for gear as and in addition to the new dynamic of I can't just sit here quietly because zombies are going to come get me. <laughs> like it totally turns the whole thing on its ear in a really interesting way. So like, even if people are not that interested in the battle Royale, I mean, cause everybody's got a battle Royale right now and I get that and it's been around for a while, but like just adding that one element totally makes it feel so much different. And I think it makes it more fun and more fresh. So, I mean, very cool. And it really does show, like you said, like you just change one or two minor elements in the game and it just, like, globally changes the entire experience. It's really interesting. So I think this is a perfect example of that. I think it's a really fun mode. 
I believe it's going to be over when Halloween's over, so if you're not a Fortnite player or if you have played and haven't played it in a while, like dip in and check it out before Halloween's over. I don't know if they're going to keep this mode around. They probably are not going to, but it's been really cool. I've really enjoyed it. And if they made it like a permanent mode in addition to the other modes, I would be totally fine with that because I think it's really fun. So anyway, that's all I got. I got nothing else unless you got anything else. You want to maybe talk about some games perhaps? I, well, we kind of have been, but we can certainly continue to talk about games. Let's talk about even more games. All right, cool. cool. That's it for banter. Let's talk about more games. Thank you.